welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, December 6, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. We have a special guest joining, Whitney Webb, here to discuss her long-term investigation into the CTI League and interesting developments in this year, actually recently discussed this month in regard to how this may over basically as I read into it and her discussions, how this may be played into the false flag conversation, obviously not how they're presenting it, but the risk that we've discussed about how the involvement of the U S government and the other, these NGOs, different groups in regard to keeping you safe and the access to the very things they claim they're defending against foreign adversaries opens the door to possible surreptitious false flag type actions. A lot of people don't even think this is something we should be discussing, but obviously historically it's very relevant. So Whitney's joining today to discuss this excellent research. We're going to talk about Javier Malai, if I'm saying his last name correctly, something I haven't touched on yet, but I'm interested to talk about. And a lot of other things we may get into regarding Israel, Gaza, and anywhere else we decide to go with it. But it's always good to have Whitney on the show. How are you? Nice to see you this morning. Hey, well, it's nice to be back on T-Lav, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm Thanks sure everybody me, misses Ryan. you. So it, it's, uh, yeah. it's it's really nice to see you. And, well, just out of the gate, you know, how are you? What's going on? How's your family? I'm sure everyone's very interested to hear. Yeah, well, you know, I'm okay, all things considered. Um, you know, uh, for people that don't know, I mean, I haven't really been working much this year because my son has been in and out of the hospital and was there for like, I don't know, like four months. And we've had to go back almost every week. Uh, since he got out in like mid-September and now we're going like every two-ish weeks plus doctors. I don't know. It's, it eats up a lot of time, but he's doing mostly better. I mean, he's at home and running around doing kids stuff, but you know, it's, it's not totally resolved and I don't know, hopefully we'll be sometime soon, but you know, trying to get back to work as much as I feasibly can uh, with, with that situation. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot going on. So, I mean, hard yeah. to not want to jump in and do stuff, you know? Yeah, it's a, definitely a dangerous and, you know, it's a hard time to deal with hospital stuff for anybody, it, right? So it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure everyone, everyone's just very, very always asking about you, always wondering everything's okay. So a lot of love out there for you and your family. So I hope that's, oh, you know, thanks. Elaine, that. Oh, we appreciate that. Thank you. So we're going to talk to, we're going to start right out of the gate today. I've got, I've got a a few different things I wanted to get into in the latter half of the show regarding Israel and, and some alarming developments in regard to flooding tunnels and some hostage overlap and some things that I think would really interesting to get your takes on, you know, maybe just a female perspective, but let's Mm -hmm. start today with the discussion of the CTI league itself the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, and something we've talked yeah. about in the past, our 2020 coverage, different things you've worked on for a long time, and how mm-hmm. this, in my in my eyes, seems to tie very, right now, the discussion of how Iran plays in with what's going on to Gaza, if that's even something that's other than just supporting them ideologically or just because they're their plight, whether that's something that's really happening is debatable, but that all of a yeah. sudden we see all these allegations, you know, Ron, this is building, the threat's coming, they're, they're seeing alarm si- signals everywhere. I can play that clip for you. Sort of like the clip that I wasn't able to find today of that one we played before. We see it building and we just don't yeah. know how to stop it. It's like the next evolution. Yeah, Christopher Ray just a few days ago had a moment just like that. Where he was yeah, basically saying the same that's, thing. Yeah, that's the same one. Uh, let, let me grab it real quick, and I'll play that because th- it's it's really interesting how you know it's kind of the same the recycling of the same things, you know, over totally. Uh, I had it downloaded. 
So go go give, go ahead and like grab that real quick and give me the back give them the background to what Christopher Ray was saying and I'll I'll grab that real quick. Um, <clears throat> well, I I can't remember exactly, but to paraphrase, it was something like all our indicators for terrorism, whatever, are all going off at the same time, and it's never been like this, you know, something like that. Right, right, exactly. Um, well, it, it's just exactly the same thing as before, like the hype. Yeah, that- and the thing before that you're talking about is uh, this ex, well now ex, but at the time DHS lady Elizabeth Newman, right. who was foreshadowing what would later become January 6th saying, oh, these anti-Semitic Trump supporters, oh, we see them building up something and we know it's coming just like another 9-11 and we can't quite stop it, meaning we're going to allow it to happen or create it, <laughs> yeah. um, which is the same model that happened with what, like 9-11 and more recently October 7th with Israel. I yeah. Mean, and what's even know. more interesting is how currently, and it's not always all, all or nothing, but the largest block out of the left-right paradigm that seems to be supporting Israel blindly is that same group. <laughs> so it's like, they're the most anti-Semitic you group. Know. Gonna, you know, it's this, it just shows you the illusion around it all. And he, here is the <laughs> clip that we, uh, that Christopher Ray saying this. So what I would say that is unique about the environment that we're in right now in my career is that while there may have been times over the years where individual threats could have been higher here or there than where they might be right now, I've never seen a time where all the threats, or so many of the threats, are all elevated all at exactly the same time. That's what makes this environment that we're in now so fraught and why funding our men and women who are working shoulder to shoulder with state and local law enforcement and other partners every day makes it even more important, not less. So blinking yeah. red lights analogy about 9-11, <laughs> all the lights were Blinking red before 9 11. They literally say it. All of us missed it. Right. Would you yeah. say that there's multiple <laughs> blinking red lights out there? I see blinking lights everywhere I turn. It's just, it's like the, you know, the, the destruction clock. We're now at mid, 11, t- five to midnight. It's just like this ridiculous analogy that doesn't really yeah. have any meaning, you know? It, it's so strange. Good. You have so the U.S., on? you know, Ryan, you and I have talked about for a long time now how the U.S. is very clearly due for 9-11 2 mm-hmm. And that based on your and my research over the past several years, the 9-11 2.0 is going to be a mix of uh, the war on domestic terror agenda uh, mm-hmm. plus all the cyber stuff. Because it doesn't have to be like, you know, buildings being controlled demolitioned on live TV with people in them this time it doesn't mean it's going to be the same attack but the same scale um and you know they know it's going to happen before it happens i mean i don't know that foreshadowing is crazy because he like says you know christopher ray says it and then whatever senator or congressman is asking him is, is literally just like so, uh, like, just setting it up to be like, so you're saying another 9-11 equivalent is coming. Yeah. And he's like, everywhere I turn, that's what I see. I mean, it's just like, it couldn't be more in your face. Would, um, you, would you not argue that COVID-19 could have been that role itself? Like, the, like the, you know, the next co- uh, 9-11 2.0 well, kind of yeah. scenario? Well, so, yeah. So, yes, but COVID-19 was a global thing, right? So, I mm-hmm. mean, you have a lot yeah. of different things that the global elite want to accomplish. But when we're talking just about the mm-hmm. U.S. specifically, the U.S. needs some sort of specific thing that pushes it into the next phase. Right. And there's That's a deliberate right. effort on the part of, you know neoconservatives and also Israel to get the U S to preemptively strike Iran. And that's been 
literally Mossad's main objective for the last 20 years. They like have openly admitted it. And you have like ex Mossad director, Mayor Dagan being like, yes, that's what we do. And there's like quotes from mainstream media, like Israeli sources saying that Mossad's had almost unlimited funds to, to, to make that happen. Okay. So uh, what we have with the current conflict, there's been lots of talk since it started about this turning into a regional war. And Israel's already said it's going to be a long war. They're not going to change what they're doing at all, despite warnings from groups in Lebanon like Hezbollah and from Iran also, uh, that that will inevitably lead to a regional war. So they want the regional war. How do they expand the regional war? How do they bring in or force uh, Iran to come in? Uh, They want the U.S. involved. And the U.S. has already sent airship uh, carriers and whatnot. And you have the fact that the State Department right now is run by by uh, a man who was raised by Robert Maxwell's <laughs> lawyer and confidant and best friend, um, who was also very tied up with Israel. So, I mean, come on, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, we have yeah. to get involved in some way. So, Iran's going to be blamed to some extent for whatever Cyber 911 is, but probably working with Group X in the U.S. to push through some more on domestic terror narrative. But the thing that we've talked about before in relation to all this, you know, cyber whatever, is that you know, in the event that there's a major cyber component to this coming 911 equivalent, they can blame literally whoever they want. They can blame whoever they want, any nation state, any group. They can make up a group and say this group is X, Y, and Z. They can say this group uh, took Monero or took Bitcoin. So we should criminalize Monero and Bitcoin or financial privacy should be ended. Uh, And all sorts of agendas they can fold into it because they can literally craft whatever narrative they want when Uh it's a cyber attack. And it's important to keep in mind here that the head of DH, the current head of DHS, Alexander Mayorkas, has said that the next big cyber attack, which is seemingly going to be this 9-11 equivalent event that the WEF has said will happen before 2025, meaning next year, uh, the DHS had said it will be, it will involve what he calls killware, which means it will be a cyber attack that murders people. And you have all this stuff in the media recently about a group that's allegedly Iranian No evidence actually tying it to Iran, by the way, as is so commonplace with all of this stuff, uh, saying that they have been attacking water systems in the U.S. Right. We covered that. And Mm -hmm. and it's and it's interesting that you made that. That that was something we talked about a long time ago, actually. Right. The water with the biological overlap. Yeah. Right. But with the biological overlap, too, that opens a whole nother door. Totally. How that could monitor all that stuff. Get a water filter, guys, by the way. Yes. Please. (laughs) Good idea. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's just so. Well, that, I mean, honestly, on that note, actually, it's one thing I worry about is that I know that like reverse osmosis definitely. I just don't know how well that actually affects like biological agents. You know, and that's I don't know me. what they're going to do, but they're going to do. They're saying it's either going to be the water, the power grid, or both. I mean, that's and, what they've been setting up the narrative for for what? I mean, like the past four plus years, right? That we've All of been which have their this. cyber aspects it's to it, the right? repeating narrative and, right. and it's very clearly like power grid water systems critical infrastructure which is not to say that that's not something that in average you know an enemy or whatever could indefinitely like these things could yeah be attacked. definitely the, the point that we're coming to today with the cti aspect is at least well let's just let me just ask you this point blank are you in what you're seeing with this the cti league in general do you, is your concern that this is going to be something that is going to be essentially intentionally lied about 
in order to blame it on them? Or is that going to be something <laughs> like, my, I guess my question is, is the CTI league aware that they're lying about that? Or are they yeah, used yeah, by yeah. somebody else? So, so here's the big problem with the CTI league. Well, there's a couple problems. One is that Michael Schellenberger won't talk about what the CTI league actually was created to do and what they mainly do. Mm-hmm. The censorship stuff that has had them recently in the news with Schellenberger and Taibbi is their side gig. Yeah. They got into that later. These guys were created to basically embed themselves in critical infrastructure in the United States for free, allegedly to help different uh, hospitals and then later critical infrastructure during a time of unprecedented cybercrime and cyber attacks because of the COVID-19 pandemic. That was, you know, what they were created ostensibly to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wrote about back in 2020. And I also I mentioned know, the misinformation aspect in there as well. And some of the stuff that has now been recycled and Schellenberger and Taibbi stuff, um, because they were doing it then too. Uh, but I guess it only matters now um, three years later when it's not the COVID pandemic anymore, but you know, whatever. Yeah. But another quick side question, actually too, somebody in the chat mentioned something. What is your mindset about that in regard to like, I, I mean, I don't want to get into like specifically trying to, hash out whether we think they're honest people, but like Schellenberger, Taibbi, the Twitter files, you know, I mean, I I agree that it seems like everything like that that happens seems to be like a watered down half version that's meant to like not to some degree. I mean, there's varying points in there. Some of the, some some of the things that were well done, but what do you think? Okay. Well here, I'm not going to give necessarily my opinion, but I'll throw out some things that I've, I've noticed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So what's the big push of a lot of this cyber attack stuff and in, in, which includes the agenda of the CTI league, it's, uh, ending online anonymity and also ending, you know, privacy online, including on social media. Okay. Uh, Michael Schellenberger is on the advisory board of ARC, the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship that was set up by Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, very cozy with Netanyahu, this whole yeah. thing, a CTI league and also WEFPAC, the Partnership Against Cybercrime, which you can talk about, led by career Israeli intelligence people uh, who worked under Netanyahu's tenure as prime minister. And Jordan Peterson, uh, once he be- entered the Netanyahu fold, uh, has been very vocal about ending online anonymity mm-hmm. and that we need to know who you are online. And this has also been echoed by Zionist neoconservatives like Nikki Haley recently right. as well, among numerous others. Interesting. Um, so why has Michael Schellenberger not really talked about Ohad Zadenberg, the guy that is mm-hmm. behind CTI League? I mean, he mentioned him briefly, but didn't go into it at all. And why mm-hmm. no mention of what CTI League actually does? Uh, their main focus is not misinformation. It's uh, embedding people. No one knows who they are. They don't even have to be American uh, into, you know, allowing them access into critical infrastructure of the U.S., including nuclear reactors, dams, water systems, and all of this other stuff. And this is really important because Ohad and Zadenberg's entire career has been focused on Iran. Entire career, from the time he was in Israeli intelligence, he was focused on blaming Iran for essentially everything and getting part of this broader Mossad arc of getting the U.S. to preemptively strike uh, Iran for Israel's benefit. Um, And since he left, he works for uh, what is, again, a very obvious uh, cybersecurity intelligence front for Israeli intelligence called Clear Sky, uh, which blames uh, cyber attacks on Iran and has for years with no evidence. And I detail uh, this in the piece. Yeah, that I wrote in 2020. So this is a guy who routinely is focused on blaming Iran for cyber attacks. 
And at the same time, he is choosing who gets to be embedded in all of this critical infrastructure in the U.S. at a time when Israeli intelligence has this explicit goal. This is very alarming and never has it been more alarming than it is right now when there is a conflict going on where Israel will want the U.S. to be involved and they know it's going to turn into a regional conflict. Right, right. And this is why your work has been so, so important over the years in this specific topic, actually in different angles or different, I guess, topics that relate back to the same main central point of how the IDF or rather the Israeli government in very surreptitious fashion have worked their way into all these intelligence and, and cyber aspects. And, you know, like to, to back to your point in this article, like the IDF linked X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's everywhere. Like it's a really alarming overlap and that's in no way meant to be some racial point. It's about a government inserting itself into struck infrastructure around the world. And that's just so alarming when you can see that the explicit stated purpose is for the interest of the Israeli government over anything else. Right. Yeah. Would you I mean, would you touch on that for briefly? So people <clears throat> don't know what that, what I mean by that, like the larger kind of web of, I guess, more unit 8,200 kind of intelligence influence and in all these different aspects. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what aspect you want me to touch on, but essentially, you know, like, like, like the point about how you've talked about how you have all of these different intelligence levels that have involved themselves in like cyber aspects in in Mm -hmm. intelligence in 911 call centers, like in all these different aspects around the country. Yeah, I mean, there is an insane amount of critical infrastructure that uses Israeli manufactured systems, most of which are either run by Unit 8200 veterans or were designed by people when they were in Unit 8200 or something. So like the cyber attack on the water system in Pennsylvania, they were using some like Israeli uh, government connected software provider to manage their water system. Right. Uh, but then you have stuff like Carbine 911, which is uh, like the emergency systems thing uh, that's going to replace. Well, so there's this effort right now to nationalize and centralize all 911 systems in the U.S. because right now it's like decentralized. It's like at the state and local level. Like count, it's managed by each county in the U.S. It's yeah. not like a national system. So they want to make it a national system, which they call NG, Next Generation 911. And, and Carbine is positioned to be the one that's put in charge of that. And you may know of this from my past reporting because Jeffrey Epstein financed it. Leslie Wexner mm-hmm. financed it. Ehud Barak essentially created it. And a longtime Epstein associate, obviously. Um, and then you have all these other people, people tied to Eric Prince, like Latalashim, uh, developing it. And I mean, just a lot of involvement with Israel. And, and uh, since they were outed as having all these Epstein connections, um, they have put all these ex-DHS and FBI people on their board to sort of rebrand it as an American company. But it's, right. it's all about pre-crime stuff, which we've covered a lot and is yeah. really the end goal of the war on domestic terror ag- agenda, which is surveillance. I mean, same as the biosecurity agenda, which is like surveilling you from the inside out and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, that's essentially what it is at the end of, end of the day, surveillance uh, bringing, you know, control ultimately. Um, So unit 8200 again is part of uh, it's like the NSA equivalent of Israel. It's their signal intelligence unit. So a lot of their more tech focused stuff, Uh, but they generally, you know, intelligence agencies are organized a little bit differently in Israel than they are in the U S the U S has 18 intelligence agencies. Israel has less, but they essentially are um, 
more directly managed by the prime minister's office than say the white house would have control over intelligence agencies. It's like much more top down in Israel than it is in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously Netanyahu has a lot more involvement over what Israeli intelligence does and does not do than like Joe Biden would have over like the CIA, for mm-hmm. example, intelligence agencies in the U S tend to have a bit more autonomy than they do in Israel. Um, so there's broader stuff here, be it geopolitically too, that's important to, uh, mention in terms of like a potential conflict. So you have the fact that Netanyahu's current government came to power, um, by aligning itself with probably the most extremist groups on the Israeli right that have ever existed. Um, and that were actually considered to be terror groups, uh, back in the eighties and early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those groups and other factions with which Netanyahu is aligned uh, seek the destruction of the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, the mm-hmm. Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, and the creation of a third temple. Obviously, that's one of the holiest sites in Islam. And you destroy that, you're going to have a war with the entire Muslim world. Um, and obviously, Iran... Uh, you know, will, would be a part of that most definitely. Um, you know, obviously there's been efforts on Israel's part to try and manage it with other countries in the Middle East, the Emirate, the United Arab Emirates uh, being the big one there into a, you know, a slightly, but not much lesser degree, Saudi Arabia. Um, but overall, I mean, they have a big war, but they feel like they have to do that for messianic purposes. And, Um, you know, a lot of stuff that's tied up with these movements like Chabad uh, Lubavitch, which is, you know, this whole push to bring uh, the Jewish Messiah and have him in charge of Israel. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have sort of these predictions from, you know, the Freemasons about what World War War III will be. It's going to be the Zionists versus the Muslims. And all of yep. this stuff, all of this foreshadowing for a long time and this uh, apocalyptic messianism, uh, we have to fulfill prophecy. And on the U.S. side of that, you know, back when Trump was in office, a lot of the people in the Trump administration, uh, Mike Pence, and then, of course, Trump's own family being very tied up with Chabad Lubavitch and also Mike Pompeo on the Christian evangelical side being very much promoting this idea of, um, you know, uh, hastening the Armageddon apocalypse, whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of that yeah. in right now in the conversation for, for largely coming from the people, seemingly kind of from a nonpartisan or like, you know, not partisan related aspect, feeling that that is why all this is happening. That it's like the, the initiation of this sort of like World War Three Armageddon concept, which, you know, I'm not sure where I stand. I, I, I don't feel like this was something, my personal opinion, talking about Israel, Gaza, that was like, I guess, initiated for that. I could be wrong. No, obviously. not necessarily use that way for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think in Israel, you have a lot of competing agendas all of the time. Yeah. And some of them are overtly like tied up with religion and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's groups, for example, that are prominent in Zionism or broadly transnational Zionism that feel that Zionism itself um, should supplant Judaism as the right. religion of the Jewish people. Um, and then you have people uh, that are not that necessarily, but embrace both very intensely. And then you have ones that don't embrace it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Zionism that as latter supplanting Judaism, like the opposite revert the same. There's a lot of that. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, and so those groups agree on some stuff, right? Not, not the anti-Zionists. They're not in power. 
obviously. Um, mm. But then you have, uh, you know, the greater Israel agenda, for example, territorial expansion. Uh, some people, some groups want that for religious reasons to fulfill prophecy, yada, yada, yada. And some of them want it because territorial expansion brings more land, more resources, more power, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know. Matt just wrote an excellent article about the greater Israel project. Just to throw that in there for people to check out that era. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great article. It's, it's a very, and it even says right the, the, the second part of the title, a delusional recipe for Armageddon. You know, there's, you, you can't decouple this from the kind of prophet prophetic picture, you know, discussions people are having, for, you know, with, yeah. with that exact. There's people that want it for prophetic reasons and there's yeah. people that want it for more practical reasons, right. you know? Yeah. And so there's yeah. like a, a managing of interests there. And, so this you know, is obviously. Interesting. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I thought you were done. No, 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 no. I was, I was just going to say an interesting arc right there to take take that point and bring it back into the CTI. Like even like the, the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque location, like that, as you pointed out, is a very central point in the, uh, the conversation of the prophetic, you know, of the prophecies of where totally. this will go. And so that mm-hmm. a lot of people then wonder if this will be some sort of a false flag aspect, you know, to, to bomb that and then blame it on Iran or whether that, you know, but or bring it Israel is never going to say we did it. Right, right. Just or saying. nobody really would. The <laughs> government's going to be like, yep, we did that. Our terrorist attack. You know, they're always going to try to lie and cover it up. But I think that's important to the CTI aspect of this, right? Whether we're talking about that itself or back to the U.S. government or the water systems, right? So so how do you see see that playing out? Because your your discussion, going back to your tweet, uh, what you wrote there in regard to what he said was the CTI League has access to critical American infrastructure, as you said, nuclear reactors, dams, hospitals. You know, we've already seen a really unprecedented rise in, you know, food factories, different things blowing up and things happening yeah. all over the place. So do you feel that's part of that? And and how do you see that going forward, if not? Well, uh, it's hard to know exactly how it's going to play out this coming yeah, side of the All I can really say is um, the stuff that's sort of like in the cards and what they've simulated and what they've set the narratives for and whatever. So there obviously is this big element to critical infrastructure. There's a big element of elections. Next year, half the world pretty much is having an election, not just Mm. the U.S. So that's interesting that Mm -hmm. this cyber attack is essentially scheduled for next year um but i did a series uh for mint press uh, that's been republished on my site um on cyber reason which is another one of these pretty obvious front companies for israeli intelligence that simulated with simulated with dhs and the fbi um the exact conditions needed for hackers to get the u.s presidential election canceled and martial law declared interesting and part of that involved attacks on critical infrastructure um among other things so um, can I ask you about that real quick? That that one point, the mm-hmm. what do you think the likelihood of that is? That's a really prominent discussion point. It seems like largely on the right about how the election is just not going to happen. Like, <laughs> that's what the plan is to declare martial law because of X, <clears throat> Y and Z. And what do you think about that? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but they've simulated it. Right. Uh, around 2020. And obviously it didn't happen in 2020, but they were, I think, you know, trying to go with January 6th and then see how that would play out because they mm-hmm. definitely like predicted. And from what you know about January 6th, like had it happen, you know, it was an intentional thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, they've tried to do stuff with it, but obviously couldn't go nearly as far with January 6th as they, as they wanted to. It doesn't compare to 9-11 at all in, in any terms, including the response of the government to it, right? Mm-hmm. So they obviously need some other sort of event. So 
Anyway, critical infrastructure component, I'd, I'd include elections in that. Anything that CISA oversees, uh, CISA being CISA, uh, which is this, I guess, subsidiary. It's technically independent, but it's overseen by DHS that deals with protecting critical infrastructure, which is all this stuff. And they're directly allied with CTI League. So they put CTI League in all this stuff. And again, to drive this home, the Fe CISA and the federal government have no oversight about who from CTI League gets access to all these systems they're giving them access to. Okay. So, and the CTI League doesn't have any standards for who they let in to their little group and who could gain access to these systems. They just have to be approved by Ohad Zadenberg or any of the other people that uh, can't sure. claim to have co-founded this. So it's insanely reckless policy from a national wait, security what, perspective. And it's very clearly a setup, I think. That, that So you're telling me that these people, so this one person who you already described, who's in my opinion, obsessed with Iran, blaming Iran for stuff. Right. Yeah. Is yeah, the one guy. person allowing people in and once they're in, they have access to, yeah. to what? What do they have access yeah. to? And they don't, they don't have to work for the U S they don't have to be vetted by any government. They have to be vetted by Ohad Zadenberg. Okay. That's crazy. What do they have career access Israeli to? intelligence operative blaming Iran for stuff with no evidence. What do they? What do they have access? Oh, to? I won't Schellenberger and Taibbi talk about this. I think it's kind of a big story, guys. I don't know. I agree. I agree. <laughs> what do you know? So, so Whitney, what what do they have access to? Like, what? Give me, give me. We don't average person know, know beyond a few things. So, like, they mm -hmm. teamed up during COVID with a bunch of pharmaceutical giants, including Merck and Johnson and Johnson, and also health insurance providers. Basically, a ton of stuff in the health system, hospitals. Um, that's crazy. dams. We don't know which dams. Nuclear reactors. We don't know. Oh, which so it's ones. just it's the stuff you listed before. So yeah. I, that seems absolutely ridiculous. So that it is ridiculous. Nothing as long as this guy says it's okay. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Why it's would ridiculous. the federal government team up with a group like that and allow people that they are not vetting into critical infrastructure? I mean, I, I'm almost kind There's of... There's no I mean, other logical like, reason. Because a lot of times the way they try and absolve themselves is being like, it was an intelligence failure. It was incompetence. <laughs> yeah, right. This is not... This goes beyond incompetence. This is like an obvious conspiracy. Sorry to use this. Sorry to use the C word, guys. <laughs> uh, but you but know what blows me away about it? It's too stupid to be incompetence. Like, obviously, they want to let people into this stuff for a specific reason. That's not good. And they're well, telling you what it is. Kill where cyber 911 and when this happens they're going to say we can't have online privacy we have to know who everyone is to get in line online and exactly i can tell you what that system is going to be if you want to get on the internet you have to sign up with a digital id through your mm -hmm. internet service provider and that's the only way you're going to get online and that way the government knows not just what you're posting online but everything you're reading and accessing that's been the goal uh for over 20 years yeah. Going back to total information awareness and all exactly. of the shit before then. It long-standing agenda. And part of that is also the end of financial privacy, which is rolled into mm. all the CBDC rollout. Um, sidebar right. though, in the US, it's very unlikely to be a CBDC. You're gonna get the same crap, but it's gonna be called stable coins or deposit tokens. Huh. And it's gonna be directly from your Wall Street bank to you. Uh, they're already setting this up. And it's just as programmable as a CBDC and people can mm -hmm. cheer. Yeah, US and you get a CBDC. Uh, US good, China bad. Look at their CBDC and we have freedom here. No, you're going to have oh, JP Morgan God. programming your stupid digital dollar instead of the Fed. 
What a big I, win. You I know. swear to God, you should clip what you just did right there and literally compare it to what the right will say when that happens because it'll be exactly that or some people. I know it, it will be exactly it. that because they're God. super predictable. I mean, I don't know. Can you, the can American you right that? is sadly very psyopable, just like the American left. Just everyone's psyopable. Yeah, yeah, all of the paradigm. <laughs> no, can, yeah. can you explain that, though, for people? Because that, that's new to me. So, so, and, and is this something you, well, you let's, to, well, yeah. I can, I can talk about that a lot more in depth, uh, mm-hmm. in a little bit, because I mean, pretty much like all the pieces my site is going to be putting out in, in the next couple of weeks are going to be on that, except for like one, well, a lot of focus give, on that for the, me recently. You don't have to give all the, the, you know, the hot takes that'll come out in your article, but give me the, what, so what are you saying there that ultimately that they're. Is this you that you know this or is this a possibility? Like oh, gonna go in that direction? I know it. Okay. I know it. So, so, go- so the Federal Reserve has said stuff like, oh, we're not sure about a CBDC, blah, blah, blah. And you have a few people in alt media that are taking that as a sign that like, oh, Jerome Powell is standing against a CBDC and he cares about God, freedom. God, ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's not what's happening. Um, so the main point I a- want to ask about is what's the difference? Can you get into okay. that? Just like, what's the yeah, difference yeah. So the what's a CBDC? It's a central bank digital currency. It's a digital currency, a digital dollar issued by the central bank, mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve in the case of the U.S. The Federal Reserve says, we're not sure if we're going to issue one. Uh, yeah, but if you look through all these like establishment think tanks like CSIS, for example. Right. They say the Fed doesn't have time to make a CBDC. They're too far behind because CBDCs involve testing and all of this stuff. So in order to be competitive globally, we have to use the digital dollars that are already here. Uh, Yeah, so that's uh, the digital dollar is already here. If you think about, um, you know, how your banks manage your money, they don't have those actual dollars. It's zeros and ones in their systems. Right. So they mean that and they mean stable coins, which are, in this case, dollar pegged stable coins. Right. Uh, Not necessarily Tether and USDC, maybe USDC. I don't know. But basically right now you have the Treasury and the financial authorities in the U.S. pushing for complete control over any dollar denominated stable coin, which they're likely to get. So once that happens, you have the financial authorities in the U.S. regulating dollar based stable coins and they can make programmable ones and do whatever they want. So it's the same. And all, all the big CBDC uh, infrastructure companies like R3 uh, in consensus, mm. all of this are pushing for stable coins and deposit tokens. What's a deposit token? Tokenized deposit, they're also called. It's essentially uh, commercial banks turning your deposited money into tradable tokens. That Ooh. are programmable, just like CBDCs. So all the threats to liberty of like CBDCs and stuff right. can also be programmed directly into a theoretical future stablecoin yeah. that regulator. I mean, regulators can pick which stablecoins win and which ones lose, and they're going to do that. It's inevitable. And then with the case of deposit tokens, the goal is to keep Wall Street banks relevant. I mean, the Wall Street banks aren't going to cede their power <laughs> right. to the Fed. I mean, so the Wall Street banks own the Fed in the U.S. for people that have forgotten that. So the idea is to keep the existing two-tier system in the U.S. um, So you'll have the Fed at the top, and then you'll have the commercial banks, and you'll have the public. And so the the public will only interact with the stuff issued by the commercial banks. But the CBDC will still exist because Fed now will be how the banks uh, do all the interbank settlement of all their different deposit tokens and whatever. So, mm. I mean, it's the same shit, just a different yeah. flavor. 
Basically. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. I, what I think there's probably sure there's a million pitfalls and traps to what we're that the that doesn't make it any better. But the first thing that stands out to me, just a very surface level, is that that will inevitably lead to the average person feeling that that means all cryptocurrency is part of the problem. When I argue that that's what they would try to, they want people not to try to use other things to kind of circumvent. That's what I would believe. I know people so don't agree with that. So what they're but. going to do is make any sort of cryptocurrency where you can have privacy or at least more privacy, they're going to get, going to get rid of that. So like Monero, they're going to illegalize that and right. things like it. Bitcoin, they're not going to get rid of Bitcoin. They're going to get rid of any sort of technologies, mixers, for example, that allow privacy to be right. uh, added to Bitcoin transactions. Mm, yeah. And see, this is why a lot of these- They're going coins... to co-op Bitcoin, basically, and make it instead of like a freedom, potential for freedom tech, financial freedom tool, they're going to make it their thing. I mean, they've, they're already pretty far along that, honestly. It very, still very well could have always been. Right. That's never, I've never. Indeed. Been, yeah. Mm -hmm. But see, I, I definitely think that that is, there, there's all these coins that are kind of like the connective or rather just, you know, the alt coins that are connective pieces between the new system and the old dying system. And I think those are the ones that are going to be, you know, wildly profitable. But the problem is that if you lean into that, you're helping the problem. You know what I mean? And so it's like this dynamic you're watching people in the crypto space that seem to be aware of how it's going. It's like this, we got to start making choices that it, it, even to our detriment that are better for the, you know, the, the, the world we're trying to build. And I don't mean that in the sense of like yeah, stronger together, but, um, great reset, our, you know, just like yeah. individual well, on, choices, on that you know? point, I just want to say that, um, you know, I, I know a decent amount of like Bitcoin maxis. I contribute to Bitcoin magazine on occasion. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the people, obviously not all, but some of the people there are very focused on freedom tech and, and making solutions that need to be made. Um, but is, can Bitcoin be saved from being co-opted? I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, there needs to be efforts made towards solutions. Right. Um, you know, and some of the people in that space are making those efforts. Some of the people in that space are trying to find ways to basically turn the Bitcoin blockchain into WikiLeaks 2.0. So even if they do co-opt it, you can publish a bunch of stuff they can't censor for everyone to see on the blockchain and stuff. I mean, there are some creative people trying to get in there and uh, invert what they're inverting. Uh, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's uh, it's a complicated space. And uh, if you're talking about big crypto companies, I mean, they're all spooks. Let's be real. Uh, yeah. You know, right. Coinbase and Circle, Binance, FTX. I mean, my um, Coinbase was just frozen, by the way. Did I tell you that? Did that it just happen? My, it, froze, it froze my Coinbase account. Yeah. It, oh, it right. It's okay, it's not. Well, it's all. You're always first, Ryan. No Apparently, so I don't. know. It's just crazy. I, I'm sure there's other people that have been censored on. I'm Coinbase, sorry. But yeah, mm -hmm. but you know, this is the way it goes. But so you just got to find. This. But you know what? It's it's just like it's been every other time before. It is a blessing in disguise. It's pushing me early to get away from these things before it's inevitable. Yeah. You know, and like they got to find yeah. alternative routes. You know, but but yeah. so thank you for describing that because I do think that's in a very alarming overlap. So bringing this back into one more time the CTI point and we'll bring it into like the, the next steps I want to get into. How do you see that playing into it? Like, do you, like obviously you already described the CBDC, the digital ID, but in regard to the false flag aspect, because it seems to suggest that that would almost undermine the willingness of the average person to lean further into these things. If they're going, look, Oh look, yeah. They're going to demonize uh, both online privacy and financial privacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is how the terrorists are, making money this is how the terrorists are engaging in terror 
We have to regulate the internet. We have to regulate online financial activity, all of it. We have to surveil financial activity and see where everyone's spending their dollars. Just like Augustine Carson's with the Bank of International Settlements, the like, you know, stay puffed guy from Ghostbusters, basically, but like a (laughs) banker. There's like this clip of him that I think John Titus found and and Catherine Austin Fitz sort of popularized of him being like, well, you know, well, if you have this... uh, this $10 bill. We don't know where you're spending it, but with a CBDC, we know exactly where you're spending it all. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that's basically on what CBDC the in particular yeah, for the right. use of general <laughs> to the general use. Uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1000 peso bill today. Uh, A key difference with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also we will have the technology to enforce that. Those those two issues are extremely important and that makes a huge difference with respect to to what... Cash is. Uh, it's just so right on the surface, you know, like just will control. They're, able they to don't care about do. hiding it anymore. I mean, do you have any idea at this point how like control opposition filled independent media is? I, know. It's I mean, impossible. they can say whatever they want because I mean, you're going to have the people with the platforms not covering it. And, right. you know, for a long time, a lot of independent media has gotten their stuff out on Twitter. It's now owned by an insane intelligence contractor billionaire that people for some reason think is a freedom fighter who by the way the big adversarial journalists of today like Schellenberger and Taibbi are all tied up with from Twitter files and onwards and who they depend on to spread their stuff around and have it go viral on Twitter it seems it seems like Taibbi and and Musk kind of had a falling out with when he got pushed into Substack yes I'm not sure but Taibbi has a history of working with billionaires so like when the intercept thing happened and there was that effort which i think was also a a psyop in a sense not unlike the twitter files um you know he was gonna run a publication for pierre omidyar had a falling out at some point but wasn't afraid of taking those you know silicon valley big tech you know billionaire bucks yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely think that they're. They, I mean, we. I think we pegged that from the beginning. I mean, it, obviously. Well, not, do I need even to mention? We never saw the source material, right? We never got anything that was promised. A Fauci file. So like, this is this is to me. This is all about the long-standing effort to destroy WikiLeaks. And remember that WikiLeaks mm-hmm. they hired like Palantir to destroy them, which is Peter Thiel, PayPal mafia. Musk is part of that. What do you know? And Pierre Omidyar owns PayPal. They're all, all the PayPal guys basically did this whole thing I'm about to mention here. But I mean, a lot of my past reporting um, over years and years has, has documented this. The Intercept in, uh, privatized the Snowden leaks. They did. They didn't publish the vast majority. Uh, right. And what they did publish, yes, it was reported on, but then the Intercept was like, oh, look, we're uh, adversarial and we want whistleblowers. And then the whistleblowers that did give their documents to the Intercept go to prison. It was a honeypot, clearly, um, in my opinion. 
And then people tied up with The Intercept uh, through the Freedom of the Press Foundation, which had a lot of overlap with The Intercept, decides to defund WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is totally destroyed. Intercept has this totally different model. And then that model is further bastardized uh, by the Twitter files, where you don't even get the source files anymore. Right. So like with The Intercept, it was like, we're not going to put it all out like the public to, for the public to search and see like WikiLeaks we're going to give you a couple of slides from the Snowden stuff and we're not going to let you yeah. see the bulk of that. And then it moves again. And then you have Twitter files. Oh, just screenshots and uh, you know, bite sized tweets. And that's, re- you know, leak whistleblower reporting. I had yeah. connected with, the, with the intercept part of it. You're absolutely right. Like, so it was almost yeah. like the first step. It's of the same billionaire. Tweet. It's all the PayPal billionaires. Right. Well, that too, what do you I know? the sense of how it's training people, right? Where yeah, first it is. Your betters to, will tell to, you to what To change the paradigm of what's an adversarial whistleblower leak journalist. They've gone mm-hmm. from Julian Assange to this shit. Right. It was, well, it, 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 how is that not an intelligence operation? It's all intelligence contractors and people tied to PayPal doing it. It just drives me crazy, people, sorry, because I mean, they've done it's so true. much damage to journalism. Absolutely. By, by doing this. Mm-hmm. It's training people exactly like we saw with Twitter files. And we're seeing it play out with the, with the Israel conversation right now. Where it, 90% of what you're saying is, listen to what we see that you don't get to. Trust us. What'd you say? It, it, source material doesn't matter anymore. Just trust our screenshot. Yeah. Well, for the Twitter files. But like what Israel's doing right now is here, we have a back room. We're showing special people certain things. You guys don't get to see it. But trust what we're telling you, you can see. Like that's that's it's the same game, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's very interesting. And people have fallen for this to a large degree. Speaking of Musk in general, we I have the, the next uh, thing I wanted to get into. Um, Majid Nawaz pointed this out. Now, what are your thoughts on this too? Just complete opinion, by the way. This is just his opinion, and I agree with mm-hmm. the opinion, but I want your thoughts on that. He says, when Musk and Netanyahu spoke, and we, we've, um, you could also give me your thoughts on the whole Musk apology tour after being called an anti-Semite, which is this, this game that gets played. Netanyahu yeah, warned Musk in this discussion that Hamas attacks would spread to the West. Donald Trump recently, out of nowhere, said Hamas is coming through the southern border. Like It's very clumsy how they're trying to create this idea. And it says, as we stated in last week's episode, they did. This was Netanyahu threatening the West with false flag reprisals. So I have the clip if you want me to play it. But what are your thoughts on that in general? I don't think you need says, to play it. Okay. okay. Whatever Cyber 911 is going to be, the people it's going to be blamed on are going to be enemies of Israel 100%. Mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. Is it going to be the IRGC and Hamas and Hezbollah all together? Maybe. Right. Or it might just be one of them or a couple of them. Uh, I mean, but it's definitely not going to be like Israel's not going to be blamed. Israel's allies and intelligence agencies aren't going to be blamed for it. I can guarantee you that. Uh, but what intelligence agency is in all the critical infrastructure of the U.S. right now right. and has a deliberate plan to get US, the U.S. government and military to attack its enemies first? Right. Well, and so these, um, this is sort of blending two things. So one side of this is the cyber aspect, right? But this is kind of more so talking about you know, like Hamas carrying out an attack. But this is where the things converge. And I think what we're talking about at the beginning is where I I think you're right. I think they do this is converge going to present to itself extent. as a multifaceted yeah. kind of attack. Go ahead. Yeah, they do converge to an extent. But remember, it's not just the cyber stuff. It's the war on domestic terror stuff. And of right. course, how are you going to get the right wing side of the political paradigm literally like exploding and like frothing at the mouth? You bring in the border element. Right. Right. Exactly. All these people have been coming through the border 
Um, and none of, a lot of them aren't Central American. They're from these other nationalities. And then, oh, look, Hamas snuck in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's not, well, I mean, they've set up so much. I mean, they could go so many ways with this because they've set it up so many different ways. We talked about this in the 2020 conversation, right? And, and it was just as logical then. There's just a hell of a lot more yeah, to build to it but now. Here, it's wait, converging. Wait, wait. Go ahead, go ahead. The migration issue is not just happening in the U.S. It's happening everywhere else, different flavors, whatever. If you have some sort of, you know, illegal migrants, Hamas, whatever, whoever they want to say, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, I don't know, uh, in the U.S. starting to do terrorist attacks, whatever, throughout the country, uh, they're going to push for digital ID for everyone. Exactly. And that's what they're doing in other places that have migration issues, including in South America, where you've like influxes of Venezuelan immigrants in various countries, et cetera. Um, you know, we have to know who people are. There's all these people here and they don't have ID and we don't know who they are. Everyone needs an ID now. Uh-huh. Inclusivity and also safety from terror. Whatever, you know, excuse fits is what they'll use. Right. Inclusivity. So they'll sell it like as inclusivity to the left in. and they'll sell it as we'll stop terror to the right. I mean, whatever. Right. Yeah. I was making a joke. I just said inclusivity, except we don't like your ideas, so you're not allowed in. Right. Which is what we'll Yeah. Happen. Well, <laughs> yeah. Or you're all equally included in our slavery paradigm. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, well, you know, so but you, the point you made a long time ago that I think is very relevant is that this has the, all the, the hallmarks of converging of not just a false flag kinetic attack or false flag cyber attack or biological attack, but rather it ends up being this converging moment where they pull all of these agendas into one focal point. Like, you know, yeah. like we're talking about, like a Hamas attack with a biological and it, agent. It may not even be one to... big attack. It could be a bunch of series of attacks and they just do it one after another until people are like, this is crazy. What's going on? I mean, they want to lock, obviously have some crazy stuff happen before 2025. We know what their longstanding goals are, where they're trying to move the entire world. They mm-hmm. have to make stuff really crazy for that right. to work. And it shock, and shock people because we've already been. Yeah, kind of it's like shock and awe. Yeah. But globally. Yeah. yeah. And so it's going to it's going to be really crazy and it's going to be a bunch of different stuff, probably. But this is all going to fit in there. One thing I did not mention um, mm. that is really important here is that all the cyber attack stuff uh, is tied up with the big banks mm. that are also about to collapse, just wow. like 08. But they don't want to have a repeat of 08 where people are like, you guys fucked up. Right. On Wall Street, and you've stolen our money, and we are mad. They don't want that. Now they want to say the hackers stole your money, mm. right? Wrong. So yeah. that's why, like, my past reporting for TLAV on uh, the WEF and their cybersecurity, cyber criminal, cyber terror agendas. Uh, and also, you know, if you think about the WEF and Cyber Polygon, which people are familiar, that was always teamed up with banks. Cyber Polygon is the WEF and tech companies and banks. The WEF partnership against cybercrime, which is pushing for the end of online anonymity and financial anonymity that's run by an Israeli intelligence operative. Banks. And then this one you've pulled up here. This was the World Economic Forum and the Carnegie Endowment when the Carnegie Endowment was run by William Burns, who's now CIA director under Biden and met with Epstein, who arguably Epstein was involved in creating the 08 financial crisis, by the way. Um, you have the Carnegie and WEF team up with 
the, some of the biggest central banks in the world, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England, and then the biggest Wall Street banks being like, oh, I guess there's going to be a big cyber attack on the global financial system that's going to bring it all down. And our solution will be to end financial privacy and have digital money that we can program and surveil. I mean, come on, guys. Guys, so here's, um, here's the other one too. This the, the this part two of that same series. People should and go back and read this stuff. I mean, I it's just a couple it years again. old, yeah. but I mean, this is what the banks are going to do because they're not going to be blamed for all the financial crimes they've committed and all the money right. they're stealing from you and are going to steal from you. Um, yeah, it's going to be Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah and North Korea and China and Russia. I don't know, right? With no evidence I mean, whatsoever, but intelligence your- has. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. there'll be a series of cyber attacks, one in the banks, one in the critical infrastructure, the elections, whatever. And there'll all be different countries, but the countries I just named are going to be on the list. Right. You know, right. And then I, after a while, they'll be like, they all work together. It's the axis of evil. Time they already for World said War that. Three. You know, you've seen that, right? They've already floated that out as the new axis of evil. That's been said more than once in the last month. I mean, it's, it's with, with, with again, it's no too evidence predictable and it's that they're actually doing anything other than just going, I support what they're fighting for. You know what I mean? And it just becomes this they're on the ground working when you can prove the U.S. is doing that literally on the ground with a, a three star general in Israel helping them plan their. You know, it's like it's just it's so they send weapons to support their ally and there's terrorism, but they send weapons to keep killing people in Gaza and it's fighting for freedom. You know, it's. Paradoxical. I mean, <laughs> what people just don't understand, especially on the American right, Israel has a massive deep state. It's been allied with our deep state since Israel's deep state existed. And Israel's deep state has existed since Israel was created as a nation in 1948. Sorry, that's just the facts. You can read my book. That's what it's about. <laughs> don't you argue, though, that it's become one thing, essentially? <clears throat> it's a binational security state yeah. at this point. Absolutely. Like, basically, yeah. almost superseding yeah. the governments themselves at this point. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's a bunch of our military tech has been sent to these bad adversaries by Israel mm-hmm. to China and elsewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, the US. <laughs> Israel plays both sides. Israel yeah. plays both sides and has uh, since the late seventies. Absolutely. Well, so bringing this into the ne- the next kind of point about uh, what well, just getting to some more larger topics, but about the false flag possibility, I still want to at point but again just reiterate for those that that. I have been saying this again, based off a lot of your work and predictions in the past, that it seems like the most logical thing to me, which, as you point out, it could represent itself in multiple attacks. It seems like this would make sense to initiate this in a way that would force everyone to bring these into a single attack that is a a foreign actor, vanilla ISIS overlap. There's that overlap there that does a biological attack, but does so through a cyber attack that releases something. That would just bring it all in together. I think you're going to have a series because remember the cyber pandemic narrative? Mm Mm-hmm. That was well, okay, like from Klaus Schwab and all those guys. It's going to be a cascading thing, but there's going to be a big one capstoning it, probably. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, all predictions, yeah. but I definitely think that that seems logical, and I just want to put it out there because I definitely... Well, they've seeded a lot of that stuff. I mean, right. back... I don't know if you remember back when like COVID started, they were like, all the Nazis are going to lick doorknobs and give, <laughs> give everyone COVID, and it's like a biological... Web, yeah. I don't know. The it's Nazi doorknobs, yeah. I'll never forget. I mean, it's just like too much. But, you know, uh, yeah. remember all like the biowarfare narrative stuff that, you know, we've both covered for a long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, saying all the stuff like, oh, they're just tinkering around in their garage and with all these, they can get anthrax and build whatever now. I mean, and that's a total lie, but that's what they were saying like before anthrax in 2001. 
Yeah, like, we, it's no, never it's, been easier. And now they have this whole narrative, like Gates was saying, I think a couple of years ago at the Munich Security Conference, now hackers can just get in the screen and go boop, beep, boop, and they make an awful bioweapon to release upon the world. And then you have the DHS right? guy being like, killware is the next cyber attack. I mean, what, how are they going to kill people with cyber? It it could be anything, but I'm sure they'd love to bring together the health security, cyber security stuff. It's inevitable because, you know, if you're going towards the transhumanism thing, they're going to blend it anyway, you know. I was going to mention the, the the China lab in California, which I think is just the most obvious bunk story I've ever seen in my life. Or, or it's something that they put there to scare people because it just seems I'm ridiculous. But I want you since you mentioned the killware. I wanted, I forgot to ask you about that. What, what exactly does that, I know it's again, hypothesis, but so, and, and you just said, how does that materialize? But what are your thoughts on that? What, what do you think that would look like is if you, I don't know, what- but let me find some links here because they, they talk a lot about it. So let me get you the link on, um, my Yorkist talking about it and you can pull it up and see exactly what he says. All right. Here's a, a blog from a cybersecurity company saying what, what is killware and let me get the Mallorcas one here for you in, in just a second. Yeah. I'll look at it right now. So what's what I'm in, what I'm just interested by is like what you're saying. So killware, you know, so we're talking about a cyber attack. I mean, I would argue it simply means something that, that ultimately through that action leads to people immediately dying, like some kind of a release or something. What's don't, that? don't take my word for it. Let's see what they say. So this first link is from a company called, Barracuda, which offers mm-hmm. ransomware protection. Their article, uh, what exactly is kill- killware and why is it the next major cyber threat? This is from August of this year. Mm-hmm. Killware and industries that are vulnerable to these attacks. Security Magazine describes killware as a cyber attack that is deployed with the intent of producing real-life risk to communities through the manipulation of operational technology. But simply, killware attacks can be lethal or physically damaging to human life because they target critical infrastructure. So something that targets a dam that lets water out that kills people. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. Or the example they give is that the city's public transportation gets hacked. Oh, well, that's and that was in the cyber reason simulation with DHS and the FBI that a hacker takes control of all the traffic lights and causes accidents. And stuff but see, like that's that. a little more abstract, though, isn't it? That's not immediate death. That's that could cause accidents that could lead to death. But so it's like, what is a terror attack? It just creates terror. Remember? I mean, they don't have to have yeah. a big kill well, count. It says kill where. That's the only reason I put it that way. Well, because like it sounds specific. scary, obviously. But the yeah. idea is that it can kill people. Right. Or right. it will kill people. I Here's don't know. However you want to look into it. But, um, I mean, it's important to pay attention to because the DHS That's guy, I mean, right the FBI and DHS ha- know what's going to go down here, the upper levels mm-hmm. of it, because they're the right. ones helping to implement it. And oh, why do I say that? DHS is CISA are the people that put CTI League and all the critical infrastructure <laughs> of the United States. Right. So, like, they right. know. Um, yeah. Malware designed to do real-world harm, the world's next breakout cybersecurity threat. I mean, they're telling you guys. Crazy. Attacks on medical facilities and utilities and CTI leagues and all of it. And where is Schellenberger and Taibbi? They're talking about the CTI league, but they can't read the CTI league's own freaking website that says what they do. Right. (laughs) It just. It's all all interconnected. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's blatant, right? And so this, you know, and then pointing out and the same thing. Here's Ray the going. The crazy thing 
these CTI league guys are like, we're going to protect all of this for free. None of these guys do anything for free unless they have an ulterior motive. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just like so basic. It's so basic. I agree. Well, I mean, anybody (laughs) says that, I mean, that's a classic idea. Nothing in the, nothing is for free. Right. I mean, that's, that's always the way that we, there's always altruistic dude. The dude that's been blaming Iran for cyber attacks on behalf of Israeli intelligence, his entire career doesn't just want to, keep hospitals in the u.s safe guys like I mean, you know like, like yeah it, the, the idea that somebody like that wouldn't be capable of acting in the interest of the of the israeli government to execute what he's, he's gonna keep doing for his whole life. what he's been doing his whole career exactly duh you know so so here's duh, ray guys. saying same thing blinking lights everywhere graham making sure to relate it to 9-11 like she's very totally. very clumsy right here, I, somebody sent me this. I thought was very interesting. Going back to the specific Hamas point, but the idea that this is that just on a billboard, billboard. Oh my god! Out no. in the middle. Of the <laughs> Let it be clear, Hamas is your problem too. It's like I, there's just no logic to the idea that this is some worldwide problem. Aunt, Aunt Senator, uh, excuse me, Secretary uh, of State Blinken already just announced a visa restriction policy, which broadly yeah. targets what he says are t- individuals and their family members involved in any meaningful way contributing to what he says is. Undermining yeah, probably journalists in the too. West Bank. Well, but I, 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 my point is that's going to be Palestinians or anybody that even, yeah. you know, kind of like a Biden version of Trump's Arab ban kind of thing. And it just seems like all you're going to do is create the air, the air of these people are now dangerous because they're on this visa list. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this clip pulling this into the, have you seen the, um, uh, the, the ships being targeted in, in, yeah, I saw that, but didn't look into it much. Well, let's play this clip and you can comment on this. So he basically he's just already bringing this right back to Iran yeah, because, you know, Houthis. Because why not? Right. Oh, yeah, it was Yemen. Four attacks against three separate commercial vessels operating in international waters in the southern Red Sea. Three vessels that are connected to 14 different nations, which goes to show you the extent to which this is truly a source of global concern and a threat to international peace and stability. We cannot assess at this time whether the Carney was a target, uh, but the Carney took prudent action in taking down those three UAVs. We are talking about the Houthis here. They're the ones with their finger on the trigger. But that gun, the weapons here, are being supplied by Iran. And Iran, we believe, is the ultimate party responsible for this. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, that's definitely a national security state googly guck where they're like, well, we don't actually know if our ship was targeted, but it was targeted. (laughs) And uh, it was the Houthis in Yemen. But who gave the Houthis the guns? You know, I mean, that's I mean, come on. Well, my, my big point, like I said before, is, you know, of course, it's all about the framing and the context, right? Because we name yeah. all of them terrorists when they give each other weapons. It's this dark secret back alley game. When we do it, it's freedoms and flags flying and it's all positive. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's totally. the same stupid thing. You're just, they're yeah. giving weapons to their, you know, but the I bigger know. point becomes, do you think that's even actually happening the way they say it is? Now, I know that Iran is supporting of the Houthis, but there's actually little, very little evidence to suggest they're that they give the a lot of weapons to the Houthis. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. I'm familiar. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, well, actually, your work is some of the stuff I cited from the very first time I talked about this back with Ben mm-hmm. Preston. Remember, that was our first interview mm-hmm. back on Yemen because you were mm-hmm. doing killer work back then on that. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very clear that this is just this undermining game. Well, anyway, that's a different topic. But bring, bringing it back to the point of the false flags, you know, so they're just already trying to patch this about Iran with the targeting yep. of these vessels my first thought is going back to like the bolton limpet mines that whole time frame which was really obvious uh, right so mm-hmm. i wonder if it's happening at all what do you think about that 
I know the Houthis. I mean, yeah, it's really possible, but here they're blaming UAVs. So those are drones, right? Right. Unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, So the Houthis had drones out in international waters in the Red Sea. Uh, They don't say if they were even armed drones. Mm -hmm. You know, they could have just been drones to see stuff. What ships are out there? And this particular ship, the USS Kearney, decided to take down the drones. But there's no evidence, even he said, that they presented any threat to any of the vessels Mm -hmm. there. But it's a global source of concern and Iran's responsible. Okay, dude. Right, which is the central Just point. like Colin Powell with his little vial being like, Saddam, you know, I mean, the, the U.S. government does this, and anyone that, that buys their shit at this point's an idiot. Sorry. But, um, I mean, they're just going to find new and it. exciting psyops <laughs> to try and manipulate people to get mad in the Iraq era. And, I mean, you have people that saw through the COVID stuff and are, like, all in for picking, like, you know, siding with Israel in this in this current conflict, unable to remember that Netanyahu uh, targeted his entire, the entire Israeli Jewish population with experimental mRNA and turned it into a giant Pfizer lab. And you think he, like, cares about the lives of Israeli Jews and wouldn't sacrifice them on October 7th on purpose to, right. like, justify a war to keep him in power because he was about to lose it because of the whole, like, judicial scandal overhaul thing. Even before that, actually. Yeah. yeah just, like, use your brain, people. But, right. I mean, people get all tribal, and it's, you know, now there's people getting tribal about Israel, and before it was people getting tribal about, you know, COVID vaccines and vaccines in general. I'm you glad know. you bring that up, though. It's such a it's t- sort of the point we made before about the people that were most, you know, it's just it's the it's the two party paradigm exposing the hypocrisy of it all. You know, where these like these people, a lot of people like your Eli <laughs> Davis out there, you know, who are where you familiar. That or not, guy you know, is is a literal like Goebbels level propagandist. Totally, it's totally. unreal. But so he's out there during the COVID discussion, you know, screaming about how they're all trying to kill us and everyone's doing. And then he literally tweets pictures of like Palestinian babies being satanic. I mean, he's insane. Right. What a crazy dude. But but him or anybody else, even from an American perspective, like people that are out there who are now going, we're fighting with them, them being the same entities that they were trying to expose 30 seconds ago. Like, I just, you know, that makes me think these people aren't honest or at least very aren't that smart. So the point we, people should be paying attention to that. I just think that's, I think, and I'm not the only one that thinks this, by the way, that there was a major effort during COVID to create a controlled opposition group within COVID that were going to bring people who specifically on the right, who were disillusioned with the neocons and Bush and all of that stuff and got mad at Trump about the vaccine to bring them back into the neocon foreign policy fold. Why do you have career neocons like Frank Gaffney creating stop vaccine passport stop? com right. and becoming a major uh you know uh guy speaking against vaccine passports on like steve bannon's show and stuff right right and and now and now bring and then blaming china, china for everything covid when literally everything china was doing israel and the u.s government were doing right right you know well, and to your point before you, I watched this art come to pass where those same people that were screaming about not allowing digital IDs are going to find a way to justify it through the totally. argument of the they other will. conversation of immigration, right? It's Exactly. And this is why crazy. I worry about, you know, even people like Robert F. Kennedy and their rhetoric about Israel right now. Yeah. If you're not going to stand up to what, you know, to them now, you're never going to stand up to them when it comes to the biosecurity agenda. Exactly. You know. Well, so a couple more points on that note in general. The Cradle points out that Syria, Russia confront ISIS cells in the Syrian desert. And so you've got this – like we see all these old kind of dynamics seemingly 
coming back around. Now, I don't know whether this reads in my mind. The article doesn't get into it specifically about whether this is, you know, I I think I don't even think we should mince words here. ISIS is an American proxy <laughs> or Israeli U.S. Western proxy. American Israeli British proxy yes, exactly. somewhere in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, when we see this all of a sudden start happening, I wonder if that's an, you know a, a part of this larger shift back. We have this uh, with Philomena posting Iraqi resistance targets U.S. occupation. We see this ongoing, you know, the the PMU largely, but that then becomes Iran, whoever they wanted to be, targeting U.S. bases, who, by the way, are the illegal occupiers, so they have the right to armed resistance. But you can see mm-hmm. all these things kind of bubbling back up. Apparently, uh, Daniela Modis points out, traffic along the Suez Canal has been suspended due to a collision between a cargo ship. Now, I'm not sure if that's related. I just thought it was interesting timing, talking about the ships, and all of a sudden you got the Suez mm-hmm. Canal. Supply of- chain crisis. They, right. They're they going to resurrect that too, yeah. Because of just excuse, you know, something happened, mm-hmm. everything's paused for mm-hmm. a week and a half, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was just about uh, Southcom in general. Laura Richardson stressed the importance of a regional hemispheric security doctrine. Well, a lot of that is related to doctrine. this. Yeah, right. a lot of that uh, right now with Southcom is related to this uh, issue that I'm not overly familiar with, but it's hard to ignore between Venezuela and, and Guyana. Um, mm-hmm. And Guyana is very much allied with uh, the U.S. and has been for a long time. And Venezuela right. wants to uh, take some territory that Guyana currently holds. And I believe it's related to oil stuff. Um, but I, again, I haven't looked into it a lot, but Southcom, uh, and, and is working with Guyana and all of this. So of course. Yeah. they have a lot to say about regional security and I, with that as a jumping off point. But I mean, the Monroe doctrine has always been, uh, you know, ridiculous. <clears throat> Well, from the point of the United well, I mean, you know, right? just like all these statements from national security officials, particularly in the Trump era, when there was all this efforts to do regime change in Venezuela at the time, mm. uh, just that like, you know, basically we own Latin America, you know, I mean, they like to say that kind of stuff here well, and there, the, and what, that's what they I, believe. Here's why I think it's ridiculous, though, like, so bringing it like, so the point is, if they believed it, maybe you could argue this would have some merit. But the point is, from a U.S. government perspective, who overthrows countries because it's Tuesday, right? There, it, this literally just from just from Wikipedia, it says United States foreign policy. The Monroe Doctrine is a U.S. foreign policy position that opposes European colonialism in the Western Hemisphere. It holds that any intervention in the political affairs of of the Americas by foreign powers is potentially hostile act against the United States, right? So, like to your point, so that's our territory, right? But the idea that somehow you're opposed to colonialism or foreign powers intervening well what the reason that's interesting in 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 the current context is that this is venezuela an american country going against guiana another american country and the the monroe doctrine was supposed to refer to like you just noted european powers interfering in the affairs of the americas Mm -hmm. but now it's being applied to uh countries within the americas having disputes between themselves which is interesting yeah, but just you know, yeah. looking at what's going on with the occupation of Gaza or U.S. occupation all over the place, it's just so silly to pretend like they really. It's what you just said. They're saying don't interfere in our occupations. <laughs> That's what we can stay well, out of duh. our backyard. Yeah, God, yeah, it's just disgusting. I mean, the U.S. is an empire. Uh, everyone watching yeah. your show should know that, and they're going to do what empires of the past have done, which is uh, murder people to keep occupying what they are occupying. And to Watch occupy it. more things. Yep. <laughs> That's Watch it play out what right they now. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So let, let's bring this into the conversation of Javier before we touch on a few points in regard to Israel. Oh, discussion. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you had sent this over. I, now, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I haven't touched on this person at all. In fact, quite frankly, I'm not in, in super immersed in his background and everything else. 
but I found a few things I saw immediately made me very suspicious of this person. So go ahead and start where you'd like with this. Here's how Argentina's, uh, is it Malay or Malay? Malay. Malay. <clears throat> At least in Spanish, Malay. it's Malay. Um, Javier Malay. So basically, uh, Javier Malay is this guy that sort of, I just see so as being so similar to Trump mm. um, in the sense that um, he ran his campaign as a right-leaning populist that was against the system. He was an outsider. He was going to shake things up and, um, you know, make Argentina great again, whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, and I mean, he did all this stuff. I mean, a lot of his appeal and it, I mean, he was hugely backed by a lot of right-leaning people in the States in particular, just regular people and in alt media uh, because he would go on TV and it so similar to Trump say stuff like, the libtards and call like blue haired, whatever people parasites and like, you know, all this stuff that kind of like Trump did with like talking about saying like mean words to Hillary Clinton or whatever on TV or Jeb Bush, you know, I mean, honestly, that was kind of cathartic to be honest, but I mm -hmm. mean, it's to suck people in and people get so focused on the rhetoric and the persona made during the campaign. Yeah, exactly what happened with Malay. A hundred percent. I mean, he would, you know, oh, the libtard. So I'm going to shred the existing political class. He'd like pull out a chainsaw at rallies and stuff and like wave it around. You know, I mean. It's a novelty is what it sounds like. Yeah. But I mean, you know, gimmick. he was saying inappropriate stuff, insulting the ruling class and all of the stuff and just so similar to Trump. And then right. uh, no one pays attention to his policies. It's all about the rhetoric, including right. people that are spectating on this in independent media. So disappointing. Again, so sci if you think you're not psyopable, chances are you probably are. No offense. Not necessarily the T-Lab audience, but like the broader Anybody audience is. that consumes independent media in the States. Yeah. You know, well, people are so desperate for a political savior. Um, exactly. So anyway, Javier Malay sells himself as being a libertarian and or an anarcho-capitalist and anti-cap. Sure. But uh, his main financial advisor, the guy that's going to be minister of the economy in Argentina, is uh, ex-head of Latin America for J.P. Morgan and Deutsche Bank, the Epstein banks. <laughs> so, aha. Um, and then on top of that, his plan was to dollarize Argentina's economy. Why mm -hmm. is this significant? Well, um, the plan for a long time has been to dollarize Argentina. If you go back to Argentina's current troubles, you could say they essentially started in the 90s with the administration of Carlos Menem. Uh, the minister of economy there was a guy named Divingo Cavallo that tried to peg the peso and the dollar together. And his other policies, you could argue, intentionally led to the economic collapse of Argentina in 2001. And then as soon as the economy collapsed, who gets put in charge of the economy as it's collapsed? Domingo Cavallo back again with another plan to do stuff with the peso and the dollar. And then they get voted out, right? And then other people come in. And then there's all this stuff with Argentina and the IMF because the economy collapsed. What is the IMF trying to do to Argentina? The same thing it's been trying to do and has done to countries all over the world. Use debt slavery to force governments to sell their state-owned assets to foreign corporations and banks. Okay? It sounds very similar to Pfizer contracts. Similar, indeed. So where do you think <laughs> they got the model from? Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, Malay, uh, how is he going to dollarize Argentina with outside financing from where? Wall Street. God, so it's just a classic model, man. And it's just never Malay changes. is going to get money to dollarize because Argentina's central bank has no dollars. 
to get the dollars to dollarize the entire economy and dump the Argentinian peso in its entirety, that money is coming from going to come from places like JP Morgan and BlackRock and whatever, right? Uh, and they're going to buy all the state-owned assets of Argentina. So literally what the IMF has been like doing economic terrorism and warfare against the Argentinian people for four decades, the people of Argentina just got psyoped into voting for a guy that's going to do that faster than the IMF. So you're being sold out is what's happening. Own goal. Hard own goal. Man. You guys just got boned by a I guy mean, with a chainsaw. Why can't the stage not even, and crazy hair? Yeah. Why can't the even the average person see that the US dollar is only allowing the US or rather just the West in general, but specifically the US to apply that pressure should they want to because now you're dependent through, you know, sanctions and so on. Like it just it's such an obvious reality of the world today that if you're not if you force yourself to be dependent on something the US government can pull away from you, you're going to be screwed at some point. I mean, that's just history of the world you know so i why doesn't the average people see that like or better question do you think it was even a legitimate election do we even have those anymore <laughs> no i think it wasn't a legitimate election yeah i just think that um malay's campaign was a huge psyop and he's just so similar to trump super cozy with uh netanyahu chabad lubavitch even yeah. just like the overlap in, in the bankers um yeah and then the whole campaign persona thing and what he's projecting and, and all of that i mean it's the same yeah, sad. Yeah. But I, 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 are you hopeful at all that let's just even say the U.S. But in general, that people are 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 more aware of this than they were before, at the very least. Like in the two party paradigm, I think a lot more people on the right are kind of going, I don't know, I don't buy this. Just more I really the- hope so. But there's there's a lot of efforts to psyop them, and a lot of mm. it is around the the decades long programming about um, Israel, uh, whether that's from the neocon stuff. Mm. Um, for the past several decades, or if it's from Christian Zionism, which I've done um, a lot of work on in the past, which, you know, goes back to stuff like the Schofield reference Bible from the early 20th century uh, that basically has trained uh, a few generations of American Christians to feel like if they even criticize the state of Israel at all, uh, they'll be cursed by God. We're watching crazy because, you know, the Schofield reference Bible, uh, you know, predates the existence of the state of Israel by several decades, but Zionism, political Zionism existed at the same uh, point in time. And uh, as I've noted in my past work on Christian Zionism, there's a lot of overlap between uh, the engineers of early Zionism and the Mm. Schofield reference Bible. I mean, big surprise uh, there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, again, we're watching this play out right now in, in how this is working so let's let's bring this unless you've got more thoughts on that specific part let's bring oh uh, no about- uh, the only thing i was going to say about uh that last one is that the guy mm-hmm. he's put in charge of the central bank of argentina is also ex-jp morgan deutsche bank so guess who's Gosh. running argentina's economy now it's not the anarcho-capitalist it's jp morgan and deutsche bank Man. the literal epstein banks right it's, it's just so Good crazy how you, can, you can go city bank obama you can you can go back and through and just look at how clearly these these yeah. banking industries are completely influencing and controlling in some cases yeah. so cabinets. who runs the u.s central bank jp morgan and Citibank. so now who runs argentina's central bank man you know same that central club, bank has been one of those like 
classic conspiracy theories that have never been, you know, like the idea of the control of the central banks and the countries that don't have that. And it's such an interesting point of how many of these classic conspiracy theories are more and more fleshing out as the years yeah, go forward. I don't know. You know? Well, dollarization itself is colonialism because the country totally. loses its, uh, you know, financial auto- autonomy over its own currency. Uh, right. Whatever the Fed decides to, to, to do with money printing, rate hikes, whatever, they don't have any control over that. Right. And there's right. like several dollarized countries, El Salvador, Ecuador, potentially Argentina, you know, remains to be seen, I guess, because Millet is already flip-flopping now on dollarization, but that was his big campaign pledge. Hmm. Well, another um, aspect, by the way, other than the financial, well, the dollar side of it is that in general, they will, through coercion, force a country to ultimately outsource all the things that they would otherwise create internally Right. So they're dependent on a foreign country for those things and then mm-hmm. make them ultimately create something that's only necess- that's needed for the U.S. economy. Right. So then they can pull that rug out at any moment. Yeah. And you're well, and we've seen that a lot. And then the dollar part. There's, of it a, there's a lot of interest in, in Argentina and other stuff. So the IMF mm-hmm. for a long time was pushing for something they called debt for land swaps in Argentina. They literally wanted to take Patagonia off of Argentina. Uh, there's a group of Zionists that also want to take Patagonia off of Argentina. And I'm they're shocked. affiliated with the same faction of Zionists that Malay is tied up with. And their claim to the southern part of Argentina uh, goes back to Theodore Herzl, the founding father of Zionism and his book, The Jewish State, which ostensibly created Zionism. But you could argue that the real engineers of Zionism are other people, as I've done in some past work. Um, right. But basically... Um, in that book, the Jewish state, he talks about where should the Jewish state go? And that chapter is about whether it should go in Israel or whether it should go in Argentina. And so there's some Zionists that think there is a claim to both. Yeah. So debt for land swaps from the IMF, Argent and Javier Malay is very close to those particular factions within Zionism that think that if Israel in the middle East becomes, you know, uh, torn apart by war, then the new Jewish states should be in Argentina. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't Argentina Something to where, keep in where, mind. Where Hitler went? Isn't that the story? Oh, allegedly Hitler went to Brazil, if you don't believe he died in a bunker in Germany at the end of World War II. Oh, I thought it was Argentina. People, Is that not right? That's weird. Oh, a I lot of Nazis went to Argentina. Okay. Well, maybe um, <laughs> and other countries in South America, too. You know, all over the place, really. Let's, Chile let's as well. Forget. Actually, the Chilean equivalent of Javier Malay, who's a guy named Jose Antonio Cast, uh, his father was a literal German Nazi that fled South America. Well, let's not forget, for those out there that think that sounds crazy, that the Lehigh Party, which was an offshoot of the Ergun Zionism or The Stern origin, Gang, it's also called. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. right. Well, they twice tried to align themselves with Nazi Germany, once with Stalin. This is in Wikipedia. While the Holocaust was ongoing. Right. Yes, about that. they I mean, did. That's mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's you just know, so in a podcast with Robert F. Kennedy, I brought that up and he knew about the Stern Gang. Of course. And of course. for some reason still acts like... It's fine. Anyway, um, yeah. no, I digress. Yeah. I, well, here, let's let the point is the same thing here. So we have <laughs> this is this is the, the title in general. I'm more important to or more interested in the general point of the Zionist connection. Javier Malay's incoming administration is shaping mm-hmm. up one of the most pro-Israel governments in Argentina's history. Yeah. You know, so right I, th- again, you'd think that people might be a little more hip to the idea of how Zionist is Zionism is kind of infiltrating these different cabinets. You know, which, by the way, is not a racist point, despite their desperate efforts to do so. 
Well, yeah. just in general, I mean, I guess well, we Argentina, kind of, go ahead. Argentina go ahead. has a very sizable Jewish population. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the most important political donors on the Argentinian right um, are very affiliated um, with Chabad Lubavitch specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And that particular brand of messianic Zionism, Judaism. Um, so probably the biggest names there, uh, biggest name there is going to be Eduardo Elstein, who is uh, the biggest landowner in all of Argentina, the biggest real estate giant, and also one of the biggest banking giants. I mean, and he also uh, runs, I think, still uh, the biggest conglomerate in the state of Israel. Uh, his holdings basically span Argentina and Israel mainly. And his career, he owes uh, entirely to George Soros. Interesting. Of course. Um, who basically installed him in Argentina. And he's also very affiliated with the Rockefeller run council of the Americas. Um, So Eduardo Elstein is the guy that backed Mauricio Macri. And now basically most of uh, Malay's appointees are affiliated with the previous Macri administration. So I'm wondering if Eduardo Elstein is somewhere in that mix. It wouldn't be surprising. I mean, he's probably the most powerful uh, behind the scenes force in Argentina's right. And then you have the the guy that used to work with him, whose name I'm forgetting. Um, But he uh, owns like almost all of the Argentinian power grid. And he's uh, pretty much the same politically and religiously and all of that. So, you know, uh, if you want to run on the Argentinian right, you definitely have to be in that camp. And Malay is there very willingly. And I think, you know, I mean, I think it's not unlike Trump really um, in the sense of like their, um, uh, you know, affinity for Zionism and how that shapes their political career before they even become politicians probably. Right. I mean, this is what concerns me so much about one, the fact that this is happening and two, that we are still, many people are still being scared away from even addressing this political party influencing other governments by some claim of racism. You know, it's it's so obvious. Yeah. But Zionism depends on claims of anti-Semitism and also real anti-Semitism for its success. And Netanyahu, I think is actually said that <laughs> yeah. um, in, in the past and other people that have been in Israel's cabinet have said that um, right. it, it benefits it's, them because they need to be the victim all the time. Don't they? Did, did you Even see the recent meeting forever. between APAC and Netanyahu in Israel? Like, I mean, it's things yeah, like that. I saw a picture of it. Yeah. Blow mm-hmm. me away. An American lobbying group, you know, on the behalf of these. Did it I really mean, blow you away though? I mean, APAC no, that it does that <laughs> was what blew me away. Not the oh, fact, right. Mm-hmm. That's just, exposing the fact that like it's it's in the only reason that makes sense is because you're not allowed to criticize that israel would ever do that in a surreptitious way even though it's literally challenging any other normal you know but it, the point is that this is that's what i was saying here it's so obvious yeah, but again week, but, what needs ahead. to be made clear to the american right is that israel has a deep state that regularly right. collaborates if not as an extension of the american deep state mm-hmm. yeah so you cannot believe everything the Israeli government or intelligence services say blindly if you are against the American deep state. Because the American deep state, if they know you won't believe it from them, they'll just have Israel say it. I mean, come on, guys. It's not that hard. I agree. Not that hard. The one point I was trying to make there is that I just think people need to take a step back and not be cowed along by these narratives and see how vividly obvious it is that you have Zionist institutions that are, I mean, look, they put forward this person as a libertarian, you know, and basically putting this person out to trick the different political parties when ultimately he is just an obvious, it's the same mindset of all the rest we're talking about, a Zionist and the same. I think the point is that this is about creating 
more and more controlled mindsets around these different countries through these political parties. And by the way, that's yeah. literally what lobbyists do. Like it's not meant to be some yeah. kind of, it's just, that's what it's all surreptitious. But so here is yep. what Torah Judaism pointed out. I'm sure, I'm sure you saw the vote conflating anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Just their and Torah Judaism simply pointing that's out that's been going that's on for a long time, though. There's been it efforts has. to redefine uh, anti Semitism as anti Zionism for several years. And, and to, to go back to APAC for a second, there's been scandals throughout their history in the US of APAC uh, conducting espionage against the UF on Israel's behalf. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's happened numerous times. <laughs> it's, it's on record, guys. They found so the they've acted as a front for Israeli intelligence. What? Sorry. They found those spying devices at the White House during Trump's administration. Yeah, but no evidence that was necessarily tied to APAC, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, Israel's intelligence regularly does that stuff. I mean, they were doing it all over the place with 9-11 when 9-11 happened. Right. Uh, On the White House, on the Drug Enforcement Agency, they tapped phone lines. uh, They did all this stuff. There's also the the example of Greenblatt. The art student stuff, you know. There's also the example of Greenblatt from the ADL who just had a leaked audio come out where he's saying on the record that they have doesn't say spies but they are he saw he calls them analysts inside these different groups one of them with jewish voices for peace and admits this on the record so think about how alarming that is the adl has people inside american protest groups that they're secretly watching and paying they were they've been spying on stuff for like decades i think they spied on the civil rights movement they spy on all sorts of other groups that aren't yeah that aren't even focused on zionism right not yeah. news to you, but the average person might be quite well, shocked. Well, people that. forget that the ADL is an extension of B'nai B'rith, which is literally uh, the Jewish equivalent of the Freemasons. Right, right. It's just That's so tied up with a bunch of organized crime stuff, by the way. If yep. uh, you read my book, you will know that. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now it's your work, right? Man. Well, so let's let's finish in general with a couple of general points about what's going on in Israel that I thought were important to include for the show today. And I think that this and uh, give me your thoughts and take this in any of these directions, wherever you want. There's a lot of things we could talk about in what's going mm-hmm. on there. But I th- this one, first of all, stands out to me in a very interesting way. So really, this largely does tie back to some of the things we were talking about, that what's going on right now in Gaza is, I think, was not, I don't think this was the way this was supposed to go I, legitimately in every way. Like I think they're using this, but ultimately right now this has destroyed reputations. Political parties are falling apart. Like this is destroying everything that was built in my opinion, around the controlled flow of information and the way people see Israel in particular. So now we have Israel revoking human rights, or United Nations humanitarian visas. Mm-hmm. I just think that's very blatant. Of course, their argument is, well, the UN is Hamas apparently now. So I'm no supporter. Well, of Israel has had a lot of antagonism towards the UN for a long time. And Definitely. so people in the US in particular on the right have been like, ooh, we're anti-UN and Israel's anti-UN. But the reason for Israel being anti-UN is this kind of stuff. Not because they're like against a global government or anything. If you think right. Israel's against global government, I would encourage you to go look at stuff that David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, had to say about global government and Israel's place in that. Right. Anyway, um, yeah, so I I would agree with you to an extent. I think in this case, Israel did not plan for the PR to fail so badly and for people to see through it to such a significant extent. Um, But um, I, you know, October 7th, obviously something happened there. And I think they thought they could uh, fulfill a lot of longstanding goals as it relates to Gaza. Um, that have been going on for a long time. I'm sure your viewers are familiar with the fact that um, 
Netanyahu uh, was very interested in entrenching Hamas in Gaza and having Hamas expand. It gives him the boogeyman he needs uh, to justify mm-hmm. what amounts to, especially now more than ever, uh, genocide. But you could argue, uh, use different terms for it earlier. But really, Gaza, ever since uh, Hamas you know, won those elections and whenever it was 2007, I mean, has been uh, subjected to siege warfare and is the world's largest open air prison or concentration camp, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Concentration camps again not exclusive to the holocaust uh, the u.s right. made them for native americans and that allegedly inspired hitler um uh, the u.s made them for the japanese in world war ii also you know so anyway uh, right. it's, it's a general term it's not it's not you it's not specific. i know but people you know yeah get weird about it but i mean that's essentially in in terms of what that word actually means that's what gaza has been for the past mm-hmm. decade plus right? right so exactly um what is so i think um the coalette policy and that think tank in israel really tied up with netanyahu there was like this plan that was attributed to them about basically ethnic cleansing of gaza before mm-hmm. the current conflict um and definitely there's been interest for a long time in reclaiming gaza uh reclaiming as they say um but you know just removing the palestinians from there i mean pretty much israeli rhetoric for the past I don't know, since the 70s, if not earlier. Well, I mean, arguably, like, you know, as soon as Israel was created and the Nakba happened, there was always an effort, a, a group in Israel that's gotten larger with time that wants all the Palestinians expelled from right. Palestine, right. right? So having, expelling Gazans from Gaza, yeah, I mean, obviously there's been a group in Israel that's, more powerful than ever now with the current government that wants them all gone. So maybe they saw an opportunity there and there was a stand down order. I mean, obviously October 7th, the official narrative is googly guck. And even like the mainstream media in the U S has had to note that whether it's the Mm -hmm. New York times being like, they knew about this for more than a year or all these warnings from Egyptian intelligence and whatever, you know, the insider trading right before October 7th, the similarities to nine 11, in, in, in those kind of terms are very clear. And then yeah. the fact that, you know, there's been increasing evidence, um, you know, from Israelis uh, that were there that day that um, including military and civilian side, that a lot of the civilian death count on Israeli held territory uh, was done by the IDF. Right. Right. Well, so, uh, so there's a lot we could talk about there. I, I'm, it's just, we have, you and I haven't got a chance to talk about all this. You know, there's so many different points there. But first of all, just to clarify what I said first, what I, what I think, I don't think it's debatable at this point. This was a false flag. In, 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 yeah. There's a lot of different mm-hmm. ways you could look at this. So we, we know for a fact all the different things we many of you just discussed. There was, I guess now people saying it was an eight-hour window. That's coming from people high up in this discussion where there was no response we know that dirt before that, there was a, a checkpoint that was between the uh, festival and kibbutz Be'ere. So which mm-hmm. makes sense. they would have the deployed, but nobody else was there. We've got the IDF multiple times over the process of weeks, maybe even a month back, telling them they were seeing things and they were told that if you keep bringing it up, you're going to put you to trial, right? Your examples you just listed there, all the different, you know, a lot of foreknowledge. There's a lot of data points. A lot of them are summarized in a recent article Ian Davis put out um, with Geopolitics and Empire. Um, yeah. For those well, interested. These, mm-hmm. these should be public information at this point. I mean, it's so blatant. Yeah. Effort, effort, Frankenson has been really knocking this, bringing this bell for a while. My point is, the only thing I'm debating at this point in the card to that point is whether or not this was planned executed by them, or it was something that they got wind of and thought maybe they could allow it to happen 
and that didn't like court of a Pearl Harbor. Again, signing. I think it's still too hard to know. I agree. The insider I agree. trading uh, can either can also go either way in that case. Right. And there's arguments too within the 9-11 truth movement if it was something they allowed to happen or something yeah. they planned. I definitely with 9-11 fall in the latter camp for sure. Me too. Me too. Uh, because the group that was responsible was financed by US intelligence and all these other groups for decades and decades. Um, and there, there's been allegations, of course, about Hamas uh, con- intentionally being incubated uh, by Netanyahu and allies in Israel. Oh, well, that's, um, I just had that up for people that want to look at that. I mean, this is not even up for debate. This is uh, uh, even Haaretz put this out two days after the 7th, and it's just quoting him what he said in 2019. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. Yeah. This is part of our strategy. That's a direct quote from him in 2019. So, right. thought, you know, so I guess the question in that case, did Hamas intentionally take Israeli intelligence or Israeli national security state funds, or were right. those funds disguised and then sent to Hamas? Remember, there's a whole cryptocurrency element here too, tying into the whole financial privacy issue we were discussing earlier mm-hmm. as well. Crypto is being used to finance Hamas. Israel's very involved in the crypto space. Did they send all those funds per what you just showed to Hamas that way? And then are mm-hmm. like, oh, now we got to end financial privacy. And Good if point. we want to uh, allow Gaza to rebuild after the conflict, we'll have to know exactly where all the money's going. Right. Just like Augustine Carson's wants. I mean, come on, guys. Hope you yeah. guys can see this because um, yeah, exactly. it's it's pretty blatant. I mean, it's literally um, going to probably be the same model that's be that was followed in Ukraine. You yeah. know, uh, BlackRock's going to build Ukraine back better and whatever, and they have a CBDC and a digital ID ready to go. You know, that's how uh, post-conflict Gaza will be if they succeed. Um, yeah. Which doesn't necessarily mean that was the immediate plan. It just they, there's the every anything like this will always be taken advantage of, but it could mean that. Well, we again we can we can only because... speculate if it was allowed to happen or if it was intentionally planned right. to go the way it went. Uh, to touch on your other point earlier, though, um, yeah, Israel Israeli propaganda is failing, and I think because to such a major oversight on their their part, also in my opinion, because um, consistently. Uh, since forever, uh, even preceding the existence of Israel as a state, their propaganda against Palestinians and Palestinian statehood is all based around dehumanizing Palestinians mm-hmm. and treating them as barbarians, terrorists, animals, whatever. Like that Eli David guy basically like tweeting out pictures equating Palestinians to the devil, including yeah. babies. I mean, while simultaneously pretending like they're pinpoint targeting only Hamas. It's yeah, yeah. Hilarious but their story. target audience, the right, generally speaking, uh, were subjected to that same stuff with COVID, weren't they? They were mm-hmm. all dehumanized too, and are like, we don't like this, and uh, not going to stick as well um, this time around. I think yeah. so. I think that might be a factor in their propaganda war being less successful this time because. A bunch of people on the right just got treated to this dehumanized rhetoric and now they're seeing it against someone and they're probably like, I kind of still remember how that felt, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Honest ones. Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but there and, and there's so, again, there are a lot of different angles on this topic in general, but to that overall, the, the point you mentioned, if they don't know about the people being shot, these are things that have been confirmed even by Haaretz now, right? That they've admitted yeah. this, there is secure, the security 
leader from the Kibbutzba area has admitted that they were shot, that they shot hostages. IDF members have said the same. We have helicopter pilots that have said the same. You know, it, and they're still denying it, by the way. Or we have Haaretz investigations that have come out and shown that literally every large allegation, the atrocity propaganda, every one of them have now been shown to be false. The poor beheaded babies. And this is, we already knew this. We proved this already. But even Haaretz has been forced to report this now. Including I mean, the, the playbook's really old, you know? Yeah, Just like with like a bunch of the U.S. wars. That also, by the way, Israel was promoting like the Iraq ones, you know, mm -hmm. the Saddam war specifically. Uh, go back and read Richard Pearl's A Clean Break about how the U.S. needs to remove Saddam from power and then figure out where Richard Pearl was in the George W. Bush administration. Connect some dots. Wolfowitz, you know, all those guys. Anyway, um, here's, here's a clip you might like. Yeah, but the incubator baby stuff, that was the Gulf War to try and take out Saddam the first time. Right. It's right. the same playbook. Every yep. time. And they've done it on so many different occasions now. Um, or, the, or the rape allegations, Viagra and rape. I mean, it's the same yeah. things that continue to float back up. But here's what I worry about with the failing propaganda war. Mm -hmm. You touched on it earlier. What if this stuff, Hamas is your problem, guys. And these terror attacks start happening in the U.S. and they're blamed right. on Hamas right. or someone Hamas-affiliated. Uh, would Israel be like our propaganda wars failing? We can't get the American public or enough of the American right on our side. Time to do something. Time for yep. some killware. Time right. for some, uh, you know, terror attacks on American soil again. Because that's, that's how that's how they got Iraq War Gulf War 2.0, isn't it? With 9/11, mm -hmm. right? And who did 9/11? Uh, U.S. deep state, Israeli deep state, and then Saudi Arabia and, you know, Pakistan that are like proxies <laughs> of U.S. intelligence. I mean, there you go. But that, that's what Narwhal was, was predicting, essentially. He, like he's saying. That yeah, no, but he's right. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that is the threat. And, and so that's what Netanyahu's saying. Don't you're not falling for our propaganda ploys. Get ready. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And it lines up with your point about the CTI aspect and, the, you know, all, it all converges. And I really, I think it's very And it's obvious. not even just CTI League. Cyber Reason I talked about earlier that mm -hmm. was like gaming this stuff out with the U.S. deep state about how they could use kill, literal, the killware stuff to cancel the uh, U.S. presidential election. They're in a ton of the U.S. military's critical infrastructure. Right. It's Let's just point. give our critical infrastructure to a foreign country, but it's our ally. It's not like our ally literally blew up an American naval ship uh, right. in the 60s to try and get the U.S. in a war uh, with Egypt and other countries and blaming it on Egypt. But then it was Israel and the U.S. government covered it up. All right. Literally uh, reported statements that they don't want to embarrass an ally, right? Like obvious cover They've up. literally done it before, yep. you know, and Israel's deep state helped do 9-11, uh, our deep state is very happy to kill Americans. Uh, Israel's deep state is very happy to kill Americans and Israelis. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't care. And that's what people don't understand. These deep states are all about like entrenching their own power and creating this neo-feudal hell, uh, techno-tyranny, whatever uh, that's coming. And it's not about the little people. And I mean, people are being psyoped really hard right now with this stuff. But you have to remember that, like, Israel's deep state is, like, key part of all of this. And you should not be supporting them. And they're literally using weapons of war and murderous AI algorithms to do yep. what they're doing in Gaza. Mass murder on an industrial scale. Consistently, Israel's cybersecurity and weapons industry test stuff 
on Palestinians right. and then exports it abroad. What they're doing in Gaza, they'll do anywhere that resists the coming global governance, CBDC, digital ID, techno feudal AI powered hellscape. I you know, agree. they'll do it yeah. everywhere. So if you're backing this, uh, no, I mean, wake up, dude. And, you know, yeah. not to knock so much on, on RFK, uh, who I've met <laughs> and uh, I used to think was okay. Um, you know, if you're going to be like, this is totally fine. It's hard to be against digital IDs and build back better in the four IR and all this stuff when that's literally what's going to happen here. And all this right. stuff going on in Gaza is going to be exported to the U S and elsewhere. Right. Why do you think the U S is getting involved in world war three and why they want to get the U S involved in this regional war in the middle East that later is obviously going to become world war three. The U S is not going to win world war three, dude. Well, it's not. They can't recruit enough soldiers. Yeah, the U.S. military is having all these problems. They they have a lack of weapons. They sent all we've sent all the ammunition to Ukraine. We have like a, you know no money left. Right. Uh, what do you think just, World War Three is going to do? Whether and or not post conflict U.S. Who's going to build back better in the U.S. The same people that are going to build right. back better in Gaza, guys. I would argue whether or not they have done all that other stuff, the U.S. still <coughs> wouldn't be capable of with with the dynamic that's been presented. And any real analyst and and you know people like people like Scott Ritter have talked about this. It's obvious that there if with if this went the way that it seems to be going, Russia, China, Iran, Lebanon, or rather Hezbollah specifically, Syria, like it doesn't matter. They wouldn't be able to come out of this ahead, you know. And I think that U.S. government is very aware of that. In my personal yeah, opinion. But the U.S. government isn't run by people loyal to the U.S. They're right. loyal to transnational, <laughs> the transnational elite trying to make this big play for global governance. Right. I agree. So, well, you know, up- if you want global government, what country do you have to destroy more than any other country? The country that embodies individual sovereignty, which you want mm. to eliminate individual right. freedom that you want to eliminate and is the superpower of the paradigm you want to demonize. Obviously us empire is bad. I think we can all agree on that, but the goal is to make the U S and it, everything it stands for, even though that's not the reality, right? Look as bad as possible. Right. Excellent point. And you cannot that do end. that and have the U S come out unscathed like it did in world war two and world war one. Mm-hmm. that's what people don't realize. Yeah, I agree completely. And I'm glad you said at the end, you know, at least that's the art, the narrative, right? Cause clearly, you know, but it's a perfect point. They want to remove the symbol, whether it's true or not, that embodies the idea of what they're trying yeah. to replace. And you know? the success of this plan hinges on what's coming now in the not too distant future, whether American, the American people sign on to this or not. And are like, yeah, we want war. The U.S.'s entry into this regional war has to be resisted at all costs. Otherwise, its destruction is inevitable because the whole plan for the U.S. once it enters World War III is to have the U.S. totally destroyed. Mm. Engineered fall of the West. So the only way to really avoid that, right, is to not get involved in World War III. Yeah, shocking. And that means (laughs) uh, knowing how they're going to try and get you into World War III and uh, letting the public know that they're being had. And uh, wouldn't it be nice if people with large platforms talking about the freaking CTI league would talk about what they actually do. It's important, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. And people need to 
engage this honestly because it's definitely something that's very important and in, in, in ties with a lot of different topics. Now, I don't know how much time you have left. I know you, I think we only have what, a ton, 15 minutes. But I can stick around a little bit. Well, I, I was just going to decide whether we should just wrap right there or not. I, I had a few of the things I wanted to kind of just poke about in regard to more general stuff. We don't have to get it. Why, why don't we just end with this in general? This, you since you bring this up, because this is this actually is perfect ending point that brings a lot of this back around is the interesting addition of the artificial intelligence killing, which is essentially what this is. You brought it up in regard to the, it was nine seven two magazine did a really important article mm-hmm. in regard to I think it was seven They're, they've been good and for former years. IDF intelligence yeah. in, mm-hmm. individuals that admitted that they were deliberately bombing civilian infrastructure in some cases with knowingly no Hamas targets. And as one person put it, the artificial intelligence mass assassination factory where they're hitting the called power targets. So it's a really interesting dynamic to add to this in regard to not only artificial intelligence becoming kind of the first deployed public discussion of how it's being utilized to kill civilians or anybody for that matter, and how you see this playing in as we go forward, maybe even with the cyber aspect of it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, okay. The addition of AI to warfare is incredibly sinister. It's being bankrolled extensively in the U.S., mainly by people tied to billionaire Peter Thiel. Uh, mm. Look at Palmer Lucky's stuff that's founded by Peter Thiel, like uh, Enduriel, for example. Also, Palantir is in this business, um, which I'll circle back to in a moment. So, okay, what's going on with the AI stuff in in Israel and in, in, in Gaza, and why is it so bad? Well, according to the IDF's own admission, um, or at least people that work in the IDF, uh, before they used the AI, they were identifying a relatively small amount of targets to assassinate in a day. And now with AI, uh, they're identif- identifying hundreds a day. Which How is AI aim. choosing right. who those targets are? Mm-hmm. What are what what did they input in there that makes those people targets? Is it right. that they are part of Hamas? I don't think so. Is it that they know someone, uh, they're friends with someone who's in Hamas, their brothers in Hamas, their cousins in Hamas? They read a post Hamas made online. Right. They once used the word Hamas, right? I mean, it gets really, you know, I'm kind of being facetious, but the point is yeah, that you see I what think I mean, the obvious reality. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Why do, you, why do you think they want to put AI in charge of the internet and mm. the censoring and monitoring social media? This gets to your point about whether this is real or not. Right, whether it's the illusion of artificial intelligence or whether this is simply input from humans, and I don't mean necessarily like a sentient concept. Well, artificial like, intelligence is real. I'm not saying it's not real. I think no, no, the singularity. To clarify, they're going to, clarify, to fake. Not, not necessarily. <clears throat> my point being that whether or not, like, the output is actually some decision, like whether or not, like you pointed out, that they're simply inputting enough metric data points that okay, make it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, Go ahead. AI and a lot of the AI industry, including Israel's AI industry, the AI is not very accurate. Right. And we know from like facial recognition statistics, like used by the UK police, it's extremely inaccurate. Right. Right. And then uh, one I reported on for T-Lab during the COVID era that was going to predict COVID outbreaks before they happen. It was according to the company's not audited statistics. So probably very Mm -hmm. inflated. They said they were 70% accurate. Okay. Which means a lot of innocent people, when you apply it to murdering people, a lot of innocent people are going to die. Okay. Uh, But obviously they don't care. They don't care. And this is because AI is terrorism on steroids. The AI could suck you up if you say something wrong. 
you know, and put you on the target list, or it could misunderstand something you say, or you could literally not even meet the the requisites for being on the target list, and AI will put you there. Mm-hmm. This is about being terrified. That's what it's about at the end of the day. So well, this is like techno terrorism, basically. Yeah. Um, the when you apply really. AI to warfare, and now they're taking humans out of the equation um, in in several scenarios. It's already happened. It happened in Ukraine. Right. Uh, which is, by the way, a lot of the Ukraine weapons companies doing that. Uh, there's a piece on Unlimited Hangout by Strevola Pabst about this. Um, it's Palmer Lucky and Peter Thiel. They're Americans. And they're making it for the U.S. military. They're building a border surveillance system. They've, it's not working for people coming in. But is it for the people coming in or is it for people that might want to leave? Oh, in the future cool. yeah it's always the question to ask for the border discussion and palantir is not just a weapons firm it's a data mining firm it right. profiles americans based right. on all of their online and banking activity mm-hmm. See, so what happens when the same ai algorithm that's responsible for censorship on social media or profiling people becomes the same ai that decides who to murder right that's where we're going that's and that's are. what is starting in Gaza right now. Right. And if you are co-signing this and being like, everyone in Gaza is a terrorist and deserves to die, it's going to come home to roost. And, uh, y- you know. It's the censorship. Karma point. sucks, dude. Right. It's, the, it's like claiming that I'm glad they got censored because they're terrible. And then like, uh, well, it doesn't matter. I was going to make it somebody specifically name them. But then they get <laughs> later get censored and they go, oh, I'm being censored. It's like, well, yeah, there you go, man. It swung right back around, you know. Yep. So it's, it, what a great point that ultimately – we end up in the situation, and even what they're saying about how oh, they voted for Hamas, therefore, it's like, God, can't you guys see what you're paving right now? You know, like this very dangerous, yeah. slippery and slope. And AI is even more dangerous than that, because the whole point of AI, in my opinion, is to give the global elite essentially what I would call a Wizard of Oz cover, mm-hmm. you know? This like, oh, the AI it. is super intelligent and so much smarter than us that we can't even question what it does and AI can't explain itself to us. Right. Accountability. That's the point. There's no accountability. There's no, we, never going to be accountability with AI. You and I've ever. had this conversation before and, and we posed this thought a long while ago about, yeah, I might've been around the time when Schmidt made that statement about how, yeah. you know, soon in the future, we're going to have to accept he that runs they know better. American AI national security policy. He Terrifying. runs it. And he's literally was named by Kissinger as his heir. So everyone's like, yay, Kissinger's dead. Well, pay attention to the guy that he passed the baton to. Terrifying. Eric Schmidt. Well, so the Google head I, the running national about- security AI. The point I made about Israel, specifically what they're doing with this AI system in Gaza, which is called uh, Habs, uh, it's called it's Habsora. Called gospel is the translation. Well, Habsora yeah. is the ter- is the Hebrew word for the, yeah. the gospel. But so basically, that it, I I put forward the possibility that Such they are going to be at some dude. point. It's going to come back. I agree. It's going to come back to where they're going to say like, if this ever ends up becoming to a point where it's accountable, and they go, well, right here you can prove that you didn't kill you know, only you know only civilians. They're going to say, well, we just followed the AI, right? And like it, that will the really AI happen. knows it's so smart. It's so much right. smarter than that. Well, this is why I think they're going to fake the singularity because then they'll that's, be like, that's it's superior intelligence yeah. to our intelligence. It can't explain itself. And we just had to do whatever it says. And Eric Schmidt and Henry Kissinger literally said that the outcome of this is either going to be the plebs rise against and overthrow the elites, which is obviously the outcome those guys don't want. Mm-hmm. Duh. Or a new religion is made centered around AI. Hmm. Creepy. 
Little How do you think it's going to go? Why yeah. is this thing called the gospel? I don't know. There's some weird stuff going on. Very creepy. Uh, definitely go and read the Eric Schmidt Kissinger book on AI, the mm. age of AI and our human future. It's very Orwellian. Uh, basically, they tell you that... Uh, AI is going to eventually control how you perceive reality and that humans by depending on AI for everything and technology for everything by being dragged there, by being told how convenient everything is uh, that humans will lose the ability uh, to perceive their perceive reality without AI and won't be able to even understand what's happening to them. AI will act upon them and that there will be two classes, the people AI acts upon and the people that maintain and program AI. What do you think the people like Sam Altman and Eric Schmidt and all of these guys, what class are they going to be in? What class are you going to be in? They, I mean, it's their language already implies. Who's going to get bombed by the AI? Exactly. (laughs) You know? So back to your, back to the point is that what you just described was what we discussed before is that, okay, so is that going to be actually an, a sentient AI making choices we have to listen to or the illusion of that where they actually are the ones pulling the strings. But even before that though, back to the point about the, the gospel part of it or the system is right now they're already creating this kind of lack of the, like you said, the Wizard of Oz kind of a thing where that you're going to begin to see this. And I promise you it's going to roll out well past the Gaza situation where these choices will be made and it'll give them another level of lack of accountability. Ukraine and Gaza are the start of what's to come. And people should really be paying attention. It's even worse than that. Think about it. The 4IR stuff, the fourth industrial revolution, the move to electric vehicles. Even if Uh you mine all of the cobalt, lithium, nickel in the world, you're only going to make enough electric vehicles for what? Like a billion people? How many people are on the planet? It's close to 9 billion, isn't it? Uh Hmm. Why do all these elites feel like there have to be way less people on the planet? Who do you think they're going to put in charge of deciding who gets to stay on the planet? Uh It's going to be AI. AI is going to decide decide how to call the herd, guys. And that's what this stuff is. The gospel they're testing in Gaza is. That's what it is. A hundred percent. Do you well, comply? Terrible. Do you believe the narratives? Are you a good sheep? You know? Are the what what kind of people do they want to keep around? That's what they're deciding. Well, I think so. There's no transparency into this gospel algorithm and who it decides to murder and who it decides Mm -hmm. to let live and whose house they decide to level and whose house they decide not to level. If I had to guess, I would say they want to leave behind only the Gazans that will comply with the new Gaza they want to build after the conflict ends. And if you don't think they're going to export that same model far outside of Gaza, you are super naive. No offense. Yeah. I think that's a good place to kind of put a pin in it. I think that it's obvious that this is unaccountable in every possible way. And it's only going to get worse unless we do something. And obviously that just drives us directly into the digital world and digital IDs and everything. But how do do we stop this? Because the same people that you explain this to and they're like, that's bad, are the same people using chat GPT every day. Exactly. Stop feeding this and get off of big tech immediately. Divest from big tech as fast as you can, or you are feeding this. And if you believe in like karma and like the law of returns and cause and effect, if you are unwilling because for matters of convenience to get off of the same companies creating this, that are going to bring this to where you live and endanger you and your family, um, you know, Have a think about it. There are ways to continue using technology that do not depend on Microsoft, Google, 
Amazon right. and OpenAI or even Elon Musk. It's time to be completely hostile to the big tech billionaires. That includes the ones that have tried to psyop you into thinking they stand for freedom. Right. You know, I mean, this is the point we made to start to end on. And, you know, the idea that this is it's it's obvious that this is all happening in a rapid succession that they want you to think is for your best interest, that they're going to continue yeah. to pretend that you're making choices that help the planet. When in reality, it's the exact opposite or help your society. It's not about helping the planet in order to create their like green future. They have to strip mine like everywhere (laughs) and that's going to pollute so much stuff. And it's, it's not about that. It's, I mean, it's always about like tricking people with like fake altruism or through fear. So it's either like, you know, this foe, like we care about the environment we care about the little people. We just want financial inclusion. That's why we need CBDCs and digital ID and all of this stuff. You know, they either market it that way or this is the only way we'll stop the terrorists. You're afraid of them. And, uh, you know, right. so, I mean, it's either one or the other. And then if neither of those work, you know, they want to get you hooked on the technology and dependent on them through convenience. Yep. And it's time to take responsibility and divest. Yeah from their systems and build something new. And if we do not, we are fucked. Sorry. So at least those of us that choose not to do anything will be fucked. It's like with COVID-19 and different lockdowns and people that were like, lockdowns were a taste. We should challenge the, the groups doing it, but oh, but I love my Starbucks, so I'm going to get that anyway. No, yeah, you know, it's kind you know, of start making choices like we were saying in the beginning that maybe it maybe it's detrimental to you in immediate immediate point. But it, if it's something, we need to start making choices that are in the interest of the human species and not for your momentary benefit. You know, that's that's where we need to go yeah. with all this. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember uh, people like Klaus Schwab and all these guys in 2020 and 2021 were being like, you know, what's going to be worse than COVID? The cyber pandemic. Right. Telling you. And all this kind of stuff. COVID was just a taste. And if you did not like being locked down, do something about it. You're running out of time. Sorry. But I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Sorry if it's scary. But hopefully something will prompt you to do something about it. Because just sitting there and continually putting stuff into GPT and feeding their AI or Google's AI or Microsoft's AI, get off of those immediately. What are you doing? Right. Right. Well, it's a good place to leave it. Thank you for, for joining today. I think it was an Absolutely. interesting conversation and I think we should do this more often. I think that the overlap is always, it always, you, you and I, whenever I have these conversations with you, it always, you know, the way that Man, these are supposed to work. Team, Ryan. Yeah, well, it, it brings me to new things that I hadn't considered before that are like, you know, and I think that's so important, these conversations. So thank you for joining. And I think that yeah, anything else, anything you want to leave us with before we leave anything upcoming or anything you want to shout out? Um, yeah. So I have um, on what we sort of touched on earlier um, about like stable coins, deposit tokens, all of that stuff. I have some important pieces coming out about that and how they tie back into the FTX scandal um, and mm-hmm. other stuff like that. Uh, upcoming, um, I've got some contributor pieces, some of which are related to Palestine, Israel, and plans to implement post-conflict technocracy in Gaza coming up. Um, an upcoming piece on some uh, private sector crypto industry players very involved in the CBDC uh, stuff. And next year, I have some uh, big Epstein reporting to break. So, yeah, stuff coming down, but obviously a lot of it depends on my little man. So if you're in the habit of praying or sending good vibes, uh, he still needs it. So and also, you know, for anyone that's in the audience that uh, supports, you know, my work directly, uh, just want to say thank you for, 
you know, keeping my journalism and, and project uh, afloat while I was uh, laid up with my little dude. Right. It's but a, it's, he's going to pull through, you know, it's not like it was a couple months ago where he might not. And it was mm. up or down all the time, every day, you know, now it's like, he's fine, but just got to have to figure out how to, you know, definitely fix it for good, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, again, nice to have you here today. And it really is a, it's an amazing thing to see the the community that we built both in your community and, and the overlap of both. There's, there's a lot, a lot of, amazing, of overlap, lot of, I think. Yeah. Well, there is there's a lot of amazing people out there that have good hearts. They have empathy compassion for people, you know, that really yeah. care about helping and, you know, and that's, that's what you're describing there. So it's really, but nice those are the people that. I'm talking about when I say divest, because these are the people that, that know they need to do it. And if the good people come together and start doing what they need to do to build something different, um, we will win, you know, at the end of the day, I agree, but, but people have to actually actively do something. We can't just sit back passively and wait for things to happen because that's what they're counting on. Exactly. Yeah. We have exactly. to start actively doing stuff to fight against this and it's not violence. It's about divesting and building something new. Right. Right. We've talked about voting with your dollar and so on. It's those personal actions that make the difference. So, totally. and, and again, shout out to everybody in the communities out there. We, we, Love you. We believe in you. And thank you for believing in us. And as always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. If you take away the Soviet Union and its chief proxy, the PLO, international terrorism would collapse. If you take out Saddam, Saddam's regime, I guarantee you that it will have enormous positive reverberations on the region. Obviously, we'd like to see a regime change, at least I would, in Iran, just as I would like to see in Iraq. The question now is a practical question. What is the best place to proceed? It's not a question of whether Iraq's regime should be taken out, but when should it be taken out? It's not a question of whether you'd like to see a regime change in Iran, but how do we... Are there any other nations that you would recommend that the United States launch preemptive attacks upon at this point? Uh, the answer is categorically yes. Uh, the, uh, the two nations that are vying, competing with each other, who will be the first to achieve nuclear weapons, uh, is Iraq and Iran. But uh, a third nation, by the way, is Libya as well. Libya is uh, trying very rapidly to build uh, an atomic bomb capability. So you have here now three nations. All stand together to stop Iran's march of conquest, subjugation, and terror. I know that no matter on which side of the aisle you sit, you stand with Israel.